Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Wicked Smart. I'm your host, Lucas Bean. And our special guest today is Fanzo. What is going on, Fanzo? How you doing, man? I am freaking great. You put some Thunderstrike on, and I tell you what, that was... I knew it was going to get you. I knew it. Oh, <laughs> I had a every, feeling. <laughs> every, also, you know, I played college hockey, and nice. in my ear holes for college hockey... Uh, you know, and back then we didn't have like these fancy earbuds and these cool things like all these kids have today. Um, I remember like literally would take my, my, my headphones off from my, you know, my, my Apple iPod. Um, you know, I don't even know if it was, I don't know if I had an Apple one. I think I had one of those, like one of those other ones that were like the slider disc ones. <laughs> but uh, I tell you what, Thunderstrike has been on like my jam to get me pumped up. And like, even like our hockey team, if I got a I was kind of known for getting some penalties. And so when I, when I would get out of the penalty box, that's what, that was what they would always play. So hell of a choice. Great, uh, great way to kick it off. Yeah. I figured it was a, it was a good match for like how I was feeling today, even though it's raining in California right now, again, in LA, Ugh. it's raining in Virginia. So both sides, we, we got both corner, you know, both, but you guys both are used to that. <laughs> you guys are used yeah, to that. Yeah, it's true. Very true. That's exactly why I moved. I, I used to live in Connecticut and like the last month I was in Connecticut, bro, it was 30 straight days of cloudy and rain. It was the worst situation ever. I just, I don't want to, it changes the way you look at life when you live in a place that's like sunny most of the year than crappy most of the year. It literally changes the way you look at everything. You're just happier, a could happier not, person. Could not agree more. I, I was born and raised on the East Coast, but I moved to Arizona for nine years. All, all three of my daughters were born in, in uh, Phoenix, Arizona. And, and now... Uh, unfortunately, thanks to divorce, it brought me back to Virginia. Ouch. I would have never left, never left uh, Arizona uh, if if it wasn't for uh, divorce side of the house. And you're right, it does spoil. I mean, I, I mean, not not the only the fact that I was, you know, we were having outdoor parties for Halloween. I was wearing, you know, t-shirt and jeans on Thanksgiving uh, for outdoor parties. Right. But just the idea of just you know good weather all year round. That you there. I mean, I'm, I'm flying to San Diego on on Monday, and I literally can't freaking wait. Yeah, I, uh, you know, there's another thing that's super underrated here, and um, then we'll get over the Mintify's daily report here. But what's the, what the, maybe you guys don't know in the audience, there's no mosquitoes in LA. Like, I have never been bitten by a mosquito once. So, just an FYI, I know it doesn't sound like a lot. I, I heard that's because of this. Is that because of the smog? Is the smog? No, so the smog. Yeah, I was going to say, it's funny how people talk about smog in LA. It's like not a thing. Like it is a thing, but I mean, it's kind of like a, uh, when you're driving on the road and you see an optical illusion or like, you know what I mean? Like you're looking past the road and it looks like it's like water or blurry, you know, um, it's not, it's smog is not something that's just like hanging around you and you're like, Oh, look at the smog in the air. Like right next to me. No, it's like, yeah, I used to, it's not there. I used to joke about that. Cause I, I mean, I, w I went to Santa Monica, you know, like four times a year for multiple years working with Twitter and uh, the Twitter data team there. And I always would joke because people would always say that it was like, oh, I'm glad you survived the smog. And I was like, I still have yet to actually even experience it. And <laughs> exactly. I've been there, you know, 50 times. Like, so uh, I'm with you. It, it was mostly mostly just teasing it. Yeah, I was going to say, I've heard I, there was like a whole space held about how L.A. had really bad smog. And it was just like it was just there in the air and you're like walking through it. Like it's like some giant snowstorm or like fog bank, you know? And you're like, no, it's not like that. There's no smog just hanging around in the air and you have to like cut through it and stuff. It's just, I've just never seen it. I've seen fog cause there is fog, but uh, yeah, otherwise it's not here. Hey, why don't we, we usually start off the show with Mintify giving us our like, like daily recap of the market. So I'm going to throw it over to Mintify real quick and uh, you know, Hey Mintify, are you ready to do it? I am. How's it going today? Good. Good, my man. How are you? 
doing well. It's Friday. Uh, How do you feel not, about that? Uh, I'm indifferent to Friday. It is what it is. I'm happy. Uh, oh, and, indifferent. You know, gonna, got some work to do over the weekend, so that's fine. Um, but the market, NFT is not looking too hot today. Neither is crypto's honestly looking worse. Um, I'm not. Too, I'm kind of indifferent to this as well. I mean, I'm happy to. I'm happy to continue accumulating. Um, <laughs> are you buying? The, are you trying to say you're buying um, the dip? Oh well, I mean, I I always buy on a dip, and this is not financial advice. I I have my risk tolerance. You know what I mean, and I I have my my methods of managing risk. Um, generally, I do dollar cost average during bear markets. This is you know this is the same for traditional. Uh, again, not financial advice, um, but statistically, uh, it, you know, statistically, it looks like the bottom is still in. Yeah, sure, crypto could definitely go down to the high you know high teens. Um, well, Bitcoin that is. Um, but there's still lots of signals that that says the bottom is still very likely and sure it could give out. Um, but, you know, when you're working with technical analysis and investments, it's in my opinion and not just my opinion, but, you know, best to work off off of statistics. And uh, the probabilities still lie in the realm of the bottom being in. But <laughs> I'll say for a third time, not financial advice. Uh, all right, let's run through this market update for today. The Ethereum market volume for the best 24 hours. 22.6 million, actually up 0.6% from yesterday. The Solana market volume, 2.8 million, up 9.3%. Highest sale was 122.42 ETH for Board Ape 550. The indexes, NFT indexes, not looking too hot today. The biggest gaining index, top 10 blue chip, actually down 0.1%. But there are some positives. Moonbird, six Moonbirds, 6.45 ETH for price, up 6%. Chromey Squiggles, 12 ETH floor price up 4%, and Sandbox Land, 0.75 ETH floor price up 5%. The top losing index, top 20 art, which actually historically has performed the best out of all of the indexes, uh, is down 4% today. Led by Checks VV Edition, 1.35 ETH floor price down 4%. The Harvest, 0.46 ETH floor price down 6%. And merge VV 0.0375 ETH floor price down 1%. Some interesting market updates. Voyager liquidated 56 million in Ethereum, VGT, Sheeb, and Link. Biden's budget proposal would close the wash sale tax harvesting loophole and treat crypto more like stocks. And Meta is developing a decentralized social media to compete with Twitter. We'll see what that ends up looking like if it actually ever comes out. <laughs> the market stats, global crypto market cap under a trillion, 944.18 billion. Bitcoin dominance, 41.66%. Bitcoin open interest, 6.38 billion, coming down a, a decent little bit from yesterday. And fear and greed all the way down at 34 with Bitcoin at 19850 down 7.6%, Ethereum just over 1400 down just over 8%, and the S&P opening up pretty low, 3890 down a little over half percent. So some nasty price action, but in my opinion, an opportunity. That's all. Pretty cool, man. So are you uh, bullish or bearish on the uh, NFT space right now, Mintify? Uh, as long as crypto is moving, usually in either direction, you know, plus or minus, NFTs are usually go down. 
Uh, it's just people like to, you know, either capitalize on the increase in crypto and, you know, sell their NFTs for more liquid, or they just want to manage risk and get out while crypto is falling. It's kind of a lose-lose. NFTs definitely do best when crypto is going sideways. But that that's kind of my perspective for what's going on with crypto right now. Um, I, I definitely don't think we're in a bull market yet. Um, it's more, it's been even, even when Bitcoin was on the highs up at, you know, nearing $24,000, this was still a bear market. Um, you know, that being said, I do think that we are in a sideways consolidation phase. You know, the endings of the bear market is likely, as I said before, I think the bottom is very likely in that doesn't mean, you know, this can't stretch out and, you know, run sideways for, you know, a, a decent amount of time, uh, you know, faking everybody out, touching the top, touching the bottom. Um, so, you know, I think in the nearish future, NFTs will get there, get a real chance at a, at a rally. But, um, over the past few weeks, it seems like that blur stimulus was instigating a lot of this rally in NFTs. Very cool. Thanks for the update, man. Really, really good. Uh, really good knowledge drop here. You know, we can't really, we can't all really be like the masters of the data right now. Kind of a busy thing. So mad respect thanks again everybody check out mentify definitely it's a really cool platform and a really good founder behind it and they are not a sponsor of the show they are not paying me to say that so i just want to make sure everybody knows that they are just a good partnership where they come in and help out and uh, you know give us the stats and news anyway let's get the fanzo my man fanzo everybody this guy this guy over here I remember when he started his 365, I'm buying an NFT 365 days in a row. And I was like, okay, this guy is just like, this is crazy. <laughs> I had, but it was a great idea at the same time. So Fanzo, um, you've been, you've been doing, you know, obviously content creation and, you know, you found your way into the NFT and web three space and you've just been here for a while. And I don't think a lot of people, at least the people I know, know your origin story and stuff like that. I want to usually ask guests that come on here and like, what's your origin story? And then like, we, we go from there. Like what, what, what's the driver? What would you used to do? How'd you get into content creation? Give us like the whole spiel. It doesn't have to be 30 seconds. I want it to be longer. I want the whole kit, kit and caboodle of Fanzo, man. Spill well, it. I, 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 you, you know, I, I don't think most people, uh, you know, have to set that up because, you know, I, I like to say, like, of all the things, you know, my mom says I came out of the womb talking uh, and it just took me 31 years to find a job that allowed me to actually get paid. Uh, for that thing that I've done since, you know, the day I was born. And, and shout out to Minify, big fan. Uh, I also will say, as much of all that news might seem a little bit uh, meh, uh, just check out the what the banks are doing uh, in centralized banking right now. And uh, uh, it won't make you feel better, but it might not make you feel as though we're the ones that are drowning when you see what Silicon Valley Bank and, and some of those other ones are doing. So just putting that out there as a as a, a bar just to level set because, man, uh, I don't know what the hell is going on in that world. But, um, you know, yeah, thanks for having me. Excited for the conversation. And, you know, my background, you know, I worked a, a decade uh, in cybersecurity for the Department of Defense. So I was uh, working for the government. I did not uh, yeah, know that. For, wow. Yeah. So, yeah. See, that's, that's pretty the, cool. The, yeah, so 10 years, um, I grew a really large team. Uh, during those 10 years, I traveled 
to 54 countries, uh, pretty much every U.S. military base outside of the United States. Um, three trips to Iraq, two to Afghanistan. Uh, been to every country in the Middle East at least once. I can navigate Kuwait uh, without a map. I've been there over 21 times uh, into Kuwait, and uh, it was really cool. I, I grew a, a really large team. Uh, I had 36 people on the team. Uh, we ran a really large, you know, $19 million a year budget on, uh, and my like our team. What our job was was we deployed. Uh, the initial kind of cybersecurity tools into the government uh, machines. Uh, and then what my team did is we trained, um, you know, the either active duty military or government on, um, on those tools. And then what my job was, um, was that I would come in as kind of the lead and manager of that project to help get them to believe in collaboration and using SharePoint and some of the, the tools to share cybersecurity policies. And I like to say I had the hardest collaboration job in the history of the world uh, because I was literally going into the Army and saying, please take these cybersecurity policies from the Navy and use them and let's, like, collaborate. And anyone that knows the military... Uh, getting Army, Navy uh, to agree or to share something. And not to mention, this is, you know, I graduated, I came out of college in 2003. And so the, I, I started in government 2000, uh, late 2004, uh, early 2005. Uh, and so that was before cybersecurity was even a word. Um, you know, a lot of, you know, people really only knew about like McAfee and semantic antivirus. And it was mostly this annoying pop-up that you just yeah, hit as many buttons as you it could. Was wicked yeah. annoying. I hated that thing. It was <laughs> it always was, updating well, and, too. I was like, oh, it needs to update again. It's like, And anyone uh, that like, when I, anyone that worked at the government, you know, when I tell them what my background was, they're like, wait a second, you were the guy that installed that pop-up thing that made my life, uh, and I was like, oh yeah, not only did I do that, I made it hard to bring your BlackBerry into government facilities, um, and I made you have your badges and have proximity badge uh, badging, so where, when you stood up to your desk, your computer automatically locked, which, you know, at the time, that seemed like this, like, the most foreign concepts, like, I remember trying to explain two-factor authentication uh, in 2006. And I had, a, I had, you know, I won't say the, the branch of the military, but it, it might have the word force in it, um, that, that they, like, literally walked me off of a military base. And they're like, we just do not want to, like, we do not believe that this type of security measure is needed. It is overbearing. It is ridiculous. Like, we, should, we have passwords. And I was like... How many people leave their secured machine and walk away for lunch for, you know, two hours and then, you know, and the machine is sitting there unlocked, right? Like, so anyhow, right. the, the premise of that was it was really, <laughs> really interesting times. Uh, it was about nine years into that job. Um, and I actually had got promoted. I had, um, I had got, I would receive this award because um, no one that was an SVP at the company I was at. Um, you had to have a master's degree. And for anyone that knows me, uh, I'm very lucky to have got out of college. Uh, ADHD and dyslexia, was not a great student. Loved school, just not a great student um, at all. And so there was 0% chance that I was going to get my master's, but I believed I was good enough uh, for that role. And and based on the track record that I had, uh, we had I had proven it. And they had rewritten kind of the, the criteria and put me in this senior VP role. But I will tell you, I got that award, and during the award ceremony, and and my wife at the time was there. Um, actually, her family was there. It was like a big award ceremony. During the intro of it, they said, you know, this guy is set for life as a young leader in cybersecurity in the U.S. government. This is what he will be doing for the rest of his life, and we will we will hear from him. And it was very like uplifting. But I couldn't get that out of my head for like weeks, like like at least two weeks where I was like, wait a second, like, who the hell said I wanted to do this for the rest of my life? And, you know, anyone that, you know, that has been in the government, anyone that's a military, huge shout out. If your family is military, family is government, you are in any of those positions, I, I believe in, you know, I'm very blessed to have done that. But 
the government is really great at like spinning their wheels and going nowhere. Like they're, they are like masters of like, I mean, I was deploying software solutions that the, the commercial world deployed five years prior and I was deploying them in the government as if it was like the leading, bleeding edge shit. Like, like it took so long for ad adoption and so much of what I loved was helping you know, break down these barriers. And, and, you know, like when we were in Iraq, you know, a lot of what I did was I worked with our team on how do we unlock policies that made people's lives easier. And like, you know, I worked with one of the highest ranking officials in Iraq because he, he was going to sign up for his third term um, in the war zone. And his only criteria was he wanted access to his Facebook because he had his second granddaughter was born. And I was like, that's a pretty damn good reason for me that I believe someone should have access to their Facebook. Like, I, like, you know, like, and at the time we had blocked all, you know, social media. You know, this was way early on. I think the really, the only social media anyone cared about at the time was probably Facebook and MySpace. I think at that, when Oof, we were doing that. But MySpace. Yeah. Yeah. Those, <laughs> those days. Um, but yeah, like, so like that was what my, my role is. But yeah, so those two weeks after I get, I got the promotion, I just had this feeling like, like, wait a second, like this isn't what I want to do for the rest of my life. And, you know, unfortunately with my promotion, I got moved to another team and my, my team, um, our, our, our contract was getting cut. And so I had to do kind of like the first round of like layoffs that I had ever had to do. And unfortunately, uh, I had to do that at another company. Um, and I, I hated it. I, I just hated the idea that we built something amazing. And although it was successful, um, the contract had gone to someone else for the, for the, the next five years. Uh, and so I made kind of like, you know, what at the time all of my mentors and everyone was telling me not to do was, you know, I gave up my highest civilian uh, security clearance that you had. Uh, and I said, I'm going to jump out of this, uh, <clears throat> you know, government cybersecurity role. Uh, and I'm going to go find kind of chase my dream job, which my dream job from college days um, was what Guy Kawasaki was doing at Apple. Uh, and for those that aren't familiar, uh, you know, he was the evangelist. I was going to say a brand yes. evangelist. Yeah, dude. Yes. That's great. Who is, he's become a, he's become a good friend now. And I, I can, wow. I can say I, I've cool. seen his kid play hockey and we became, uh, friends at the time. He was every like he, he, you know, for those that don't know, like, you know, no one liked Apple, uh, in the late nineties, early two thousands, like Apple was, you know, people couldn't figure out why the mouse didn't have a right click button. People couldn't figure out, um, you know, like all these things, you, know, you had to use this really weird, you know, operating system. And, uh, and he created this like very cult like experience known as, you know, like the Apple fanboys, um, you know, through these different, you know, forums. And I was like, how cool would it be to not have to sell, not have to market, but to really just evangelize, technology that he believed that was was groundbreaking that was revolutionary and you know he, he went on to do some you know amazing things um you know in in the mobile space he went on to be an advisor at canva which anyone that knows canva they you know i think they just got a six billion dollar evaluation and he was one of the very first um kind of ones there and and so that was my dream job and so it took a while but i ended up getting a company it was a data center company um, in Arizona, which data center is about as sexy as cybersecurity. Um, <laughs> yeah, but you know what? Uh, it's not, it's the unsexy businesses that's like are the ones that are the most profitable and usually sell for the most. So, yeah, and, and the ones that were, you know, in the weirdest way is like we were deploying cloud based solutions and I was like migrating Johnson and Johnson and migrating Bank of America into cloud. Uh, and that's why like Web3 to me, like this migration isn't, isn't new. Like, I had to convince people that, you know, hey, I know that you can physically go touch your servers and that you can physically like see where all your things are stored, but that scalability doesn't exist. And the, our, our disaster recovery, if a hurricane hits, which one did unfortunately to you know, one of the data centers on the East Coast, like if you, all of your stuff is in that one location and you don't have you know things set up to move your 
your data and services, you could go down and you could go down, you know, some of these companies were, you know, nine or $10 million per minute that their website was offline, right? Like, and like we were helping them move into the cloud. And, and it was always funny because cloud is, it was the weirdest tech at the time because people just like looked up to the sky. That's exactly <laughs> what I've said right? before. People yeah, are always like, like, cloud doesn't live up there, man. All it is is colo space with a bunch of servers and cloud is the software. It's so funny. Anyway, go ahead. Yeah, because people always like, they just think a bunch of racks and servers <laughs> are just floating up above our heads like on these like satellites, I guess. Like, and I, I jokingly always said that like it wasn't actually until... Um, funny enough, like I think you know, the iCloud photo photo stream on our iPhones was really the game changer for cloud computing. And and you know now it, cloud cloud is kind of what blockchain will be very soon. In that no one will care that something is cloud, but pretty much every service that everyone that's listening right now, every single thing that you own from a service, uh, a product or service lives in the cloud. But not very long ago, uh, when I was working at this data center in 2011, um, I think the, the study was something that 12% of, awkward, of uh, you know, active software was currently being run from the cloud, like 12%, right? So in, in just over, you know, let's say 12 years, we went from like 12% to almost like 100% operating other than like kind of backups and storage and all that nonsense. Um, and so like I, I worked at that company uh, for two years. It was... It was wild. We had 12 new hires a week, every single week. That, and that was partly what my team was uh, kind of overviewing, overseeing. And we were like the startup, like Silicon Valley startup that you've seen on TV. Um, we got rid of uh, like all uh, meeting room tables at one point. Our, our, our CEO decided to turn off internal email uh, company-wide because he wanted people to use collaboration software. Um, we got rid of like the lunchroom and you had food trucks Monday through Friday. Uh, like we were, we were literally, uh, you know, ping pong tables in the office. It, it was a wild, uh, you know, two years that I worked there, but it was two years and 10 days. Um, and a, uh, we, uh, CenturyLink came in and bought out the data center that I worked for. Um, and on that day, um, you know, I was in the, the meetings helping negotiate this buyout, super excited about it. And on day one, uh, you know, I came in and, and my key didn't work. And they let me know that um, the team couldn't figure out what the hell an evangelist was. <laughs> they couldn't figure out why you got paid what you did. Uh, they couldn't figure out why your face was on the front of the building um, as like kind of the face of the company. Uh, I had spoken at, I think the year before, 60 plus events, 50, 50 some plus events um, on behalf of the company. Uh, and that was my last day uh, working for anyone else. That was my kind of, uh, you know, they handed me my, my box of supplies that were, you know, kind of sitting there <laughs> at the front door. Oops. And I uh, turned around, you know, I, I just had... Um, my second daughter uh, at the time, and I was like, "Wow, this is going to be uh, interesting." And you know, now you know, fast forward the last uh, you know ten years, it's all been you know, my main source of revenue is a, is a full time keynote speaker. Uh, you know, I speak uh, at different events and stages around the world, but then also monetizing through content. So I actually launched uh, my very first podcast my last year at the government. So in two thousand nine. Uh, was my very first podcast that I ever uh, launched. It was a freaking nightmare. Um, you had to stand up an FTP server. You had to understand how to wrap these files in this different metadata. And once you got it up to the FTP server, getting it into like Apple was a four-hour process. And then trying to get it to any other app was, I mean, good luck. It was it was a nightmare. That was my very first podcast, 2009. Um, and, you know, I Damn, I man, loved, that's so yeah. early. So early. Way early. And it was, and I'll tell you what, and I didn't know what I was doing. Like, I... I mean, talking about like, nobody I, did, I loved, dude. Did you see yeah. Joe Rogan's first podcast ever? Did you see it? Oh, it yes. was like it was oh, like yes. a webcam that was pixelated, and he was like holding this ball 
webcam in his hand, just like trying to hold it straight on his face. It was hilarious. Anyway. I, yeah, and I had that exact webcam, right? I know. Like, <laughs> so did I. <laughs> I, I, I you know, isn't that funny? Like from those days where it was, and like we were innovative as hell back then, right? Like the fact that we had a web camera that was not attached to a device yeah. was like mind blowing, right? Like I, and I remember I got my first um, podcast microphone that didn't plug into a USB port and I thought it was cool. But I had it for two years and could never figure out how to use it because I needed like a soundboard and I needed all these like transition, you know, things to get it to the computer to talk. And I eventually was like, none of this is worth it. I have a USB mic and and I, I did that. And um, and yeah, so content creation has been, you know, also an equally you know big part. Live video is kind of where I would say I, I grew my brand. Most people that like kind of knew or, or heard of me for a while, like, you know, when Meerkat, if those remember Meerkat, uh, uh, which was. The, I definitely do. The, Oh yeah, short lived. Yeah, short lived, but yeah, yeah it was well, good. Well, that was where I picked my 15 minutes of fame. So don't take my advice on uh, 15 minutes of fame <laughs> because you know they had four million, uh, you know, active users, and the the most popular user was Jimmy Fallon. The second most popular user was Gary Vaynerchuk, and the third one was me, uh, iSocial fans, uh, and I was getting. You know, 20,000 people would ride with me in my Uber uh, to South by Southwest. Uh, I would, you know, I would do, I think, three or four live streams a day because at the time I didn't realize I was just that annoying guy that would just go live for, you know, just a blab into these, uh, into my phone. Um, but yeah, I didn't, you know, I, I, that, that audience grew to, you know, I would, you know, eventually have a million, uh, you know, plus followers across, you know, that, you know, meerkat world. And unfortunately, um, you know, Periscope was launching on Twitter, Facebook Live was launching in, in their world, um, and, you know, Meerkat decided to, to pivot into a different company, which is now known as House Party, which I think is worth, I don't know, $160 million or something, so, you know, kudos to them, I didn't make a dime, I, I built and, and connected my entire life and platform to that platform, and, and I learned a lot of mistakes, right, a lot of things on the centralized world that, you know, I didn't realize, right, like, I didn't think for a minute that had a concern about where would people find me if Meerkat disappeared or how would, how would people, you know, connect with me or consume my content. Uh, and unfortunately that was a lesson learned. And, and I try to convey that lesson now in this web three world and hopefully, you know, not have others make, uh, you know, kind of that same mistake I did, but uh, yeah, it's been wild ride early adopter. You know, I ran one of the largest Google plus uh, shows. Oh, another, another, oh, another channel oh, yeah. that's dead. <laughs> oh yeah. But that's I'm, the I'm beauty of it, man. You've been building, <laughs> like, it sounds like you've been building a community like across platforms and yeah, a couple of them you put, you know, you put your all, all your eggs in one basket, you know, especially with Meerkat. But by the way, Meerkat wasn't a bad platform. It just no. obviously just didn't, you know, it just didn't take off. Some of these platforms don't take off. And well, same and thing happened I mean, with Vine, right? Vine died. Yeah, and that's yeah, how Vine, Logan Paul Vine was another one. Logan Vine Paul became one. famous from Vine. So I have a Vine sweatshirt literally sitting across the, the office, my office. I can see it right from here as I was an influencer <laughs> there on that platform. Um, but, you yeah. know, like to your point, like, you know, honestly, Meerkat, the reason Meerkat ended up, you know, kind of changing was that Twitter cut off their API access. Uh, and they cut off their right. API Fire access hose. because of Periscope, right? Periscope yeah. was there. Um, let's also remember Twitter has never had a monetization model. And I say this as they were my client for seven years and I loved working with the Twitter data team. So just context on that, but I never worked on like the, 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 the B2C side of the house. I was a, I was on data with IBM Watson and, and the AI side of the yeah, house. B2B. I worked with, yeah. yeah, yeah, definitely the B2B. But like, I mean, Twitter, you know, when they launched Periscope, they were like, wait, people are using our API for free and they're ultimately, you know, providing a better tool, a better um, access. I mean, it was wild at, at that time, like the amount of listeners that I could, you know, kind of drive to a live video, um, even on Google plus, you know, I, I had, you know, I interviewed 
Damon John, Tony Robbins, all of them on Google Plus back in the day on our on our show. It's called Social Business Hour, um, and it was a hell of a lot of fun. And it's where I learned really how to to interview, kind of multitask, be able to like watch Twitter, see the icons on the screen, ask questions, and stay on narrative. Like I mean, when someone asked me like how I do the things I do now, I mean I had I mean it was four years every Monday. 4 p.m. Eastern time, social business hour. We had a Twitter chat and a social bit uh, on Google Plus, and we ran that show for a long time. And and it was, I mean, it was it was great. We monetized it for a while. We had sponsors, um, but yeah, most of my career has been you know I really love pushing the limits, testing what's possible, helping brands and creators um, you know leverage that, implement it, and then I'm gonna go continue to push you know what's possible. And that's kind of been you know the story of my career. That's uh. That is a mouthful. And can I tell you what a lot, like you have like a very long and crazy cool pedigree of experience and that's very rare in the space. So I hope everybody appreciates that. Like, a, you know, a pedigree of experience is what we need in the space. You know, there's like a lot of people that are literally just out of high school or just out of college that are just, this is like their first, you know, we just came into the crypto space and bought NFTs and I got lucky and like got a couple of apes or a couple of, you know, whatever, you know, fill in the blanks. And now you're, you know, a full-time like NFT advisor or whatever the case may be. Like having people in the space that actually have experience is a really, really good thing. Like I could see some people like between you and me, great experience. I see Fitty down there. He's got some amazing experience. I mean, there's so many people, Brad, everybody. Like there's so many people with great experience, real nice guy, the co-host here, amazing experience. So I think it's really powerful that like that experience, man, is crazy cool too. Like you were running, you were running, uh, it and tech setup over at the government, man. Like that is a big deal. Like there's no joke. And when you said you memorized like how to get out of Kuwait, right? Like that's part of the training that you go out during the day. And you like drive around. I think I saw a TV show on it. That's why I know this, by the way. <laughs> it's <laughs> yeah, like you have to memorize, yeah, you have to learn how to get out of there just in case something goes wrong. You have to know the streets like really, really, really well. And uh, yeah, it's that's a weird, uh, it's a weird habit they put in, right? Like I, you know, I traveled as, you know, I, I had the highest civilian security clearance that you get. So I had to do a polygraph and all of that to have the clearance I had. And, um, you know, I know that people might be wondering, I got the access to cool shit. I didn't get access to any cool shit. Um, the reason my clearance was needed was I had access to the networking topology of what we were deploying from a, a tech side of the house. Nothing that was like, you know, I didn't know where any spies were or any, like I, like the, the, the unsexy part was they had to give me access to like, how are we going to deploy our T1 network in Iraq so that our soldiers on the front line can use their tough books? Like that was, yeah. that was what I had access to, but yeah, it was wild. You know, and I, you know, it's often why I say like, you know, for me, I've been to 76 countries total now in, in my life and career. And, and I only know that because for a long while I still had to check in with the embassy when I would leave the country. And so each time they would tell me, you know, this is your number country. Oh, you haven't been there. And, and I say that because like, for me, that also gives me a lot of context that I get to educate and, and bring that to those that maybe haven't had that experience yet. Cause I, I mean, I am very blessed that you know, my career is taken without question. There is no straight line, but I also look at like this space is the intersection that I didn't know that I was building my entire career for. It is literally, I mean, when you talk 10 years, cybersecurity collaboration, I've yeah, been 10, 10 years, yeah. yeah, 10 years building online community and, and, and working with brands like IBM, Dell, Samsung. I mean, I helped the UFC 
you know, launched their very first Facebook Live. I helped the MGM uh, launch their their Snapchat account, their very first Snapchat account. I built the the brand strategy. I built the implement, uh, implementation, and I was the go-to-market guy and, you know, worked with, you know, some of the big influencers. I know you mentioned, you know, Logan Paul. Logan Paul was, you know, uh, was part of that team that we would, you know, Sean Doris. There was a bunch of these amazing creators that I brought to the Super Bowl. We did MGM grand things. Uh, and so I've had, a, you know, a lot of, you know, experience in that realm. And I, and I just really enjoy, you know, for me, like my North Star, like if you kind of, if I wrapped all of it up, is I, I help people find the harmony between technology and humanity. Right. So right. like I'm a huge advocate with ADHD and, and neurodiversity. I was diagnosed uh, 10 years ago now with uh, ADHD and dyslexia. My daughter, one of my daughters is diagnosed as well. And so I do a lot of things in that space. Um, and a lot of that just comes from that idea. It's like, I don't give a shit about tech. Like tech isn't like the thing that I get excited about, but I love tech if it's going to help us as humans improve us, you know, be able to make us more productive, give us more time back, allow us to do more things, connect with people at a deeper level, help people feel less alone. Like that's what drives me. Um, and so like, that's where this whole space, like, I mean, it captivates me because, you know, I believe right now we are using like a very small speck of what the technology um, can empower us to do, but even that small tech, right? Like it's, it's tough you know, to be an adult, like adulting sucks right now. And <laughs> it, you know, it also sucks. It's hard to find friends. Like how do you as adults meet new people and connect? That's a valid, like, dude, I ask that question like all the time. Like how do adults right? go about like literally finding friends? Like unless they're coworkers and I've, I've actually isolated it down. Like either you're in school and you're meeting people at like a, you know, um, post education, you know what I mean? Like master's degree program or something else, or you're meeting people at work and that's where your friend base comes from. I mean, I, not many people like get together with a hi, like hobbyists and be like, Oh, I met a good friend, you know, flying my RC plane yesterday. Like, dude, that doesn't happen. This isn't like the seventies yeah, or eighties anymore, you know? Or by the, um, by the grill where I get to go with my daughter's birthday parties and they're like, Oh, all the dads are hanging out over there by the grill, which to me, I am an extrovert of all extroverts. I hate forced conversation to save my life. There's nothing I hate more right. than being like, like on an airplane, like people always joke like, wait, you're a keynote speaker that doesn't shut up and is active on every social media. But like, if I, if you see me on an airplane, I have a headphone, I have my, my hoodie up and I have an AirPod in. I'm probably not listening to anything, but I want you to think that I am listening to something so you don't talk to me because I do not want to know how the weather is. I do not care if it's business or pleasure. I do not care. Like, I am just like, you put me in a forced conversation, it's it's the nightmare. But if we all of a sudden connect, like, oh, you're wearing Chuck Taylors. I like Chuck Taylors. I'll talk to you the entire flight, right? So, like, it's funny how that works. But to, to that point, like, you know, like, for me, that is a big piece of this. Like, we are all striving to find connection in our people and partially it's because it's freaking hard yeah. to find that, especially in a world where we're, most of us are working from home these days as well. Like, I mean, talking about so true. a really big cluster. Yeah, so true. That's funny that you brought that up. There's no doubt, uh, you know, during the pandemic, these social audio apps are, are the things that brought us all together, I believe. Like when I was on Clubhouse, it was a little, little bit of an echo chamber with like VCs and like startups and stuff like that, which is my world, startup and tech and stuff like that. Um, but... You know, when Twitter Spaces launched, you know, the layer, this this audio layer on top of a social network that had like, you know, a decade plus of experience, like 15 years more like of like all this data that, you know, you could optimize a social audio layer. I mean, it was just a no brainer that thing was going to beat Clubhouse and like uh, overnight. But I actually think this social audio layer, this this thing we, we are all talking on right now 
has brought like I've made some of the best friends like I've ever had on this this app. And you know, I stay more connected with these folks than I do with my friends in real life. I mean, they my friends in real life like have kids and families and you know, all this stuff. And they've like LA is one of these like hard cities to like live in because of that. I've gone through like five cycles of friends. You know what I mean? Like they've all, you know, we've all got together, had fun together, they they pair off. And they get married and then they go their separate ways and they move away or whatever it is. So it's really interesting that you brought that up. And as an adult, it is definitely crazy hard to meet like-minded people that you get along with and you don't actually have to like, you know, again, forced conversations and stuff like that. And that's what I think this app does too. You know, and of course this category that we're all focused on, we're all, we all share this one interest, which is, you know, blockchain and, and NFTs and like basically the category that rolls up under web three right? Which is just a marketing term for the blockchain layer. So yeah, man, that's really cool. You have like crazy experience, my man. So how did you like, I totally get it. And by the way, your, your background definitely fits this category because obviously it's cryptography, right? And we all want, we all want that. My, my uh, graduate school thesis was cryptography. You know what I mean? Like it was over a, like 150 page uh, friggin' thesis, man, that sucked right. But boy, did I learn a lot. I would have I should have write a Twitter thread about that. Um, I should break out my old thesis and write a thread. <laughs> anyway, so what else, man? Like, tell me, like, what was your what was your reason for doing the 365 NFTs? Was it like, tell me exactly what was your, like, where did you even come up with the idea? And like, and then like, what was behind it? Yeah, no, yeah, for sure. And I will tell you just the fact that you said you did that thesis. Like, first of all, kudos, tip my hat. Never could. Uh, I that just blows my mind. Um, and and I will tell you the. The cryptology side of that. Oh, it wasn't easy, by what, the way. It was not easy. It totally sucked. Yeah, I could. I can't even imagine. Like, I mean, embrace the I, I've suck. Done a lot of cool sh- <laughs> yeah, a lot of done a lot of cool shit in my life, and uh, just like that alone, like I'm like, yeah, that just the. I mean, but I, but I also look at it as like you know our ability to like learn and be curious and be able to like discovering like the references and like you know the, a lot of the stuff you know for me in my career in my life like I mean I was. I was the president of my fraternity. I was the assistant captain of the hockey team in college. Um, and I like one of the things I pride myself on, which sounds like a weird brag, but I was the first assistant captain um, in a D1 you know, hockey school that was um, on the third line of the team. Like I was not a talent. Like I knew when I played college hockey there, like this was just four more years of playing college hockey. Like there was, there was less than a 0% chance of me going anywhere further, but I could see the ice better than most. And I loved the, the idea that I could put people in the right positions. Or I could be myself. And so, like, I mean, I led the team in goals uh, my junior year, and, and everybody joked, and I was like, I had the least talent on the team, but I was pretty damn good at, at understanding where others were at and what they were good at and positioning things. And and so, like, you know, it's funny how we can look back, and, like, I can tell you, because I was really good at being able to work with all these different groups of people, and, you know, I even my, you know, we had 40 people, 41 people on the team, um, you know, in the government side of the house, and the first 40 people that were on our team that we were hiring, most of them that I hired individually were older than I was. And so for anyone that's like kind of in that spot, right. Of like, how do I relate with people that, cause like I, they looked and I was the kid, right. I, I, I hate wearing, I don't wear ties. I would wear crazy colored shoes and a backwards hat. And they were like, wait a second. I've been in this space for 12 years. I got to listen to this freaking kid that, you know, is, you know, backwards hat. And he's you know, like, what, what does he know? And like, I had to learn, like, you know, how to, you know, kind of pick my battles and learn how to like, over, you know, gain respect through things that I was doing and also realize that just because I was a leader didn't mean 
I had to do everything. And just because I was the, the manager didn't mean I needed to lead all the projects. There was, I mean, we, we led a couple very secure projects um, in the war zone, and I was the furthest from being the guy that should lead that project. Like, I was the manager. It was under my purview. But I was definitely in the back. Like, Leaders Eat Last, big, great book by Simon Sinek. Yeah, uh, definitely that check, check that out. Yeah, it's just a, it's a great, it's, I think it's better than uh, why. Like, his TED Talk is amazing, but I think Leaders Eat Last is a, is a better book. I, I, of course, listen to the audio book because uh, with dyslexia, I, I've pretty much never <laughs> dude, read a book. Dude, me too, uh, man. I, have to not, so yeah. I, haven't re- I didn't even read a book. I didn't even read a book in grad school, dude. Like, I cannot do it. I just, it doesn't do it for me, so. Same here. We're, we're connected there. But yeah, I mean, <laughs> to, to answer your question, you're like, funny enough, I, so I, the first keynote I ever gave where I used the word blockchain uh, was 2015. And I was giving a keynote at uh, Amazon Web Services at AWS uh, reinvent um, out there in Las Vegas. And my big thing was about where the blockchain can help us from a cloud perspective add a layer of transparency. So like I was bullish as all hell on what the blockchain offered. But funny enough, during that talk, I said I have one wish for the blockchain <clears throat> is that I hope and pray that cryptocurrency does not become the first mass adopted use case of blockchain. And, and let me let me clarify, first of all, Futurist, not perfectionist. I make plenty of wrong predictions and wrong uh, assumptions. But my reasoning was, <laughs> yeah, my reasoning was was the financial aspect really concerned me for tech adoption because change is already freaking hard. New tech, I mean, nobody wants, like if you tell me to sign up for another email newsletter, I'm like, I don't want more email. You tell me to download another app because there's this cool app. I don't need, I have so many apps on my phone that I don't use. Like all those things, like we are so adverse to change because we've been fed it for so long. And then we add a layer of like, oh, you need to secure your funds there and we're gonna put money in there. Like as soon as that financial you know, piece of this got thrown in, it scared me in 2015. Like I was very, I remember being like, you know, I had this long line after I got off that stage and so many people were like, you know, so you're anti-crypto. I was like, no, actually the opposite. I'm bullish as all hell as decentralized, uh, you know, crypto with what it moves. But I, if, if, if it becomes the use case, then there's a whole nother can that is going to open up and kind of, you know, unlock. And so, you know, funny enough, like I was given, you know, I, I was given Bitcoin for being on different Google Plus shows. Um, so I had accumulated eight Bitcoin um, <laughs> over the time, um, you know, uh, you know, because they would give me one Bitcoin for coming on a show. Like that was like the, and I remember, I think I had, they, like I had accumulated three from one show. Then I was like, okay, you know, help me figure out, you know, how to set up this wallet. And I did that whole thing. Um, and then he was like, you have to inscribe your seed phrase. And I was like, this is it. And he's like, no. And he's like, kudos to this guy. Like, he was like, Brian, you're not getting off this video until you do that. And I had this old, uh, for those that remember, gateway desktop computers. Right? I had one of the, I had a shell for my gateway, my gateway. I didn't have the computer. I just had like the shell. And he was like, just, he goes like, get out one of your, like the little soldering <laughs> uh, thing. And he's like, solder your seed phrase into that. And then that's where you're going to store it. And I was like, all right, you know, I have a security background. Sure. That's what I'm, and I did. And, and, you know, I had accumulated a couple more Bitcoin, but then I really kind of turned that off, right? I was doing live streaming, doing a lot of things. Um, and funny enough, like, as I started to like hear more about crypto, it like kind of dawned on me that, you know, oh crap, I had got divorced. I had moved out. And I believe that stack of like old tech that was in the corner, my ex-wife took to the dump. And uh, that is where, that is where, so if anyone wants to go uh, dump diving in Northern Virginia, uh, I can tell you what uh, reservoir that it it was uh, deposited in, in, uh, you know, in 2017, I believe. Um, But yeah, so, but I I say that because 
like you know, as I started looking at what this creator economy concept was, it kind of brought me back to social tokens, cryptocurrency, and this idea of like what does what does a creator coin social token look like? And that had actually had a lot to do with Clubhouse. You know, I, I grew a, a really large following over there on Clubhouse. I um, I ran one of the largest um, mental health clubs in all of Clubhouse called you know Mental Health Matters. You know, I, I co uh, you know co created that with uh, my good friend Nitty. Um, and we ran these large rooms on on kind of uh, removing biases and stigmas uh, around mental health. But we had all these people that were like Brian, like how can we contribute? How can we like you know they wanted to tip and bring and so for me actually that was my aha into this space was like, oh, well, what if I had a coin or what if I had a way that they could, that they could tip? And, you know, for context, I actually helped design Periscope's in-app tipping. Like I was a freelance contractor. They brought me on, um, you know, with the team for Kayvon and the team from Periscope. And I helped them design the mechanism for, um, for tipping in Periscope. So like when you would go live, people could, you know, kind of tip on screen and then those tips would be, you know, aggregated very similar to what you see now on TikTok and uh, on Instagram live. But I helped design that on Periscope. So I looked at creator economy and creator coins and I was like, wow, this is the blockchain answer. And that was the, you know, the fall of 2020, um, and then kind of like the the very start, or um, yeah, 2020. And so yeah, then January uh, of 2021, I started researching uh, creator coins and social tokens, uh, and started to be like, wow, this is where I'm going to play. And so you know, I launched my first my creator coin uh, social token um, March 12th of 2021, um, and that was also kind of the first month that I got my kind of first NFT. Um, I remember it being very like I, I was my creator coin was on the layer two uh, of Ethereum, um, but you know I you know I had already had kind of the wallet set up, but I was only using you know playing in top shots was pretty much my only um, experience that, you know in that early days. But yeah, that that was kind of my you know my entry point and you know the creator coin. Um, concept and then you know really seeing the light on nfts i was in the the clubhouse room uh the day board ape uh minted uh i remember being pulled up on stage and i said you guys i'm the wrong guy to be pulled up on stage and i even tweeted out a screenshot and said i can't figure out why all these guys are with monkey photos are happy because they spent 400 dollars on them like that was my <laughs> thought in that clubhouse i was so confused on why they, these were worth $400. Um, and of course, that was, you know, a lesson of all lessons because, you know, in the next month, I mean, I doubled down on like, wait a second, I have a creator coin. What the hell do these NFTs do? What are the smart contracts behind them? And the smart contract part of the blockchain has always excited me. I, I've always loved that layer of transparency. Um, and then of course, you know, I actually tweeted it out today. Uh, I realized, wow, I missed the mark with, you know, Board Ape. You know, I got my ETH aligned uh, for VFriends Series 1 and my ETH aligned uh, for Proof Collective. I'd known Kevin uh, and the team uh, since 2014. But then I didn't pull the trigger on either one of them. I, I sat in the, the day they were minting. I had Ethan in the wallet enough to mint. And I was like, man, I still don't, I still don't get this space enough. I need to do more research. So I say all of that because, you know, quickly that summer of 2021, I started to play around. I started to buy some NFTs. I, you know, I one of my kind of like you know initial ones with was Blaze Cats, and then my my aha moment was Crypto Dads, um, you know, on Mint Day, and that was one of those days where I put exactly what the mint price was to buy uh, my first Crypto Dad, uh, and I didn't factor in gas at all, and it minted out before I could put enough ETH into my wallet uh, to get my Crypto Dad. So I had to buy a Crypto Dad on the secondary market, like right after um, uh, it was, and back then everything was instant reveal, right? So there was no like waiting and um, anyhow, that that was kind of like that weird world of that. And so with all of that going on, like me kind of like 
fast forward learning, you know, we went to NFT NYC, which I consider it the first one. I know there was ones prior. Yeah. That same. NFT NYC, same. Like, 2021 yeah, one we, was definitely the one. We just need as yeah. as a culture, we just need to identify that as like it's it's the post people uh, NFT NYC, right? Like, right? like that's a that's the best way to put it. But like you know, I was there, and and you know, people actually is is the influence because you know I had been working, you know, Gary V and the team over there. I you know I knew D Rock before he was actually an intern with Gary. Um, and I had kind of been, you know, t- 2014 at South by uh, Gary kind of took me under his wing and, and kind of gave me a lot of mentorship and advising. And and so Gary, had, uh, the team had invited us, uh, Drew, who's in the audience, um, and myself to this uh, this exclusive premiere. I think there's there's a bunch of people there with 139. And um, it was the debut of the documentary for people. And I remember, you know, on a train up to New York that Drew and I took from uh, from Virginia to New York. I was like, dude, what what is the content play here? And we were talking about YouTube channel. Um, you know, I had already had uh, you know seven podcasts previously. I actually had a current one um, at that point. And we were like, okay, let's figure out what the content play is, and we're just gonna go all in with the content play while we're here. But we had no idea what it would be. And then sitting there watching that documentary, and people, I mean, for those that don't understand that story, of five thousand pieces, and only one of the five thousand as he was creating them, was ever sold. I believe it was sold for about $400. He just kept creating. All the, like, anyone that, like, you know, that looks at the people story, like, please look into the commitment to consistency, the passion for his craft. Like, his wife in the documentary talking about, like, you know, he would leave, they would be on family vacation. He'd run back to his computer to work on, you know, his daily pieces. And he was doing it to, you know, to put out his art. But really as like his own passion and belief in, in um, his creative side. And like, as I was sitting there, I was like, holy shit. Like that is like, he literally is doing this. He was doing it every day to make himself better. And that kind of spawned, you know, Drew, I, I like to say, you know, Drew held a gun to my head um, and had me pinned to the ground and said, you should do a, a, a daily podcast. Um, but you know, we, he, we were, we were like, Hey, we should do a podcast. And I was like, you know, we can't do this unless it's every day. The space moves too fast. And he was like, why don't we do that? And I was like, well, now we're just going to make the rich richer and we're going to have this daily podcast. I was like, the only way I could do this is if I bought an NFT every day as well. And then I'd create this like time capsule and then people could come on the journey. And so that was November 5th uh, of 2021. Uh, six days later, November 11th, we decided on 11-11-21 that we would launch a, a daily podcast and I would buy uh, an NFT every single day that was in the mint phase. And uh, we made it 365 days. I bought an NFT on uh, 18 different blockchains, 36 different marketplaces, uh, you know, 365 of them that I still hold uh, today. Not one of them uh, have been sold. Um, and I still hold them as one, you know, kind of collection today. And and we did 365 episodes. And um, anyone that, you know, would say anything about daily content or anyone that's committed to consistency, I just want to be very clear. Consistency is magic. And it is also stupid hard. It is re- requires massive sacrifice, and I would not recommend it to anyone. Uh, <laughs> even though I like, I don't regret doing it. But it was, it was a test of all tests. I didn't think we'd make it through Christmas. When we made it through Christmas, I made the joke that was like, "Well, it's a win." Like I already beat my own prediction. Like I and and there was plenty of times, like in the two hundreds when we were two hundred and some days in, there was two different days where I was like, I, "Today is the day." I don't feel I got COVID twice during that time. You know, I was traveling the world. One of my flights got delayed three times. I had to record an episode uh, from the Minneapolis, Minnesota airport, uh, you know, sitting on the floor with my podcast microphone connected to my road recorder, uh, you know, recording an episode. But um, one hell of a journey. It taught me, I mean, a ton, right? I was spending 
four hours a day researching NFT projects to buy, um, let alone also creating a podcast and putting it out there. And um, yeah, it was one hell of a ride, that's for sure. Yeah, that's crazy. And I can tell you right now, from my experience working at a bunch of different companies where I worked with like YouTube celebrities and things like that, if people commit to a one year being consistent every single day doing something, it'll absolutely change your life. And I kind of like, you know, I, I've, I never did it yet. I always told people to do it because I always saw these YouTubers become like super famous because they committed to the 365 rule and it worked every time. So one day back in, uh, you know, again, I don't want to bring this, make this about me, but I, I just want to use it as an example because I did this as well. In uh, the last week of April of 2021, I committed to doing spaces every single day. And it turned out that I would be doing them like 10, 12 hours a day minimum. And that's minimum. And it, it, it 100% worked. Uh, it definitely works to commit to something and see it all the way through. I went actually to 455 days before I actually took a break. And I'm not, I didn't miss a day, like not a Saturday, not a Sunday. It was crazy. Ooh, too many. Ooh, so can I tell you? Too relate, many. Man, we can relate on that. Uh, you know, I crashed I, hard I, after that though, dude. It was a I really hard crash. The other, <laughs> the other, so today, today episode 407 went out uh, of the Damn. podcast and we are, so today is, so it's also been 481 days. So in 481 days, we put out 407 podcast episodes. So I, I feel you, uh, you know, I tip my hat, um, you know, just even the idea of showing up. Right. And, yeah. and, you know, and it's, you know, even like, cause you have to like, you end up like burying your soul and letting people in. Cause you can't hide shit when you're yep. doing it every day. Like exactly. that's why people need to give people that are on TV. Um, like, you know, I'm a big Pat McAfee fan show. I, I love a lot of ESPN stuff and like people that have to talk about stuff for two hours a day, every day, Monday, even if it's Monday through Friday, like the amount of like, you, you have to let people in, right? Like the people are going to get to know your highs and your lows and your ups because like, I mean, it's it just such of a, a grind. And, and you, like you said, you know, I, I will say it taught me more about myself maybe than it did anything else. Like, you know, I, I was like you, I, I even had a slide in my keynote that people tweet out every once in a while that it just said consistency, consistency, consistency. It had three words ginormous on the screen. And I would tell people like, you know, do as I say, not as I do. I have ADHD and dyslexia. Uh, consistency is not in my DNA, but I believe in it. Right. And that was 40 years of my life. And somehow when I was 40 years old, which I'm now 41, but at 40 years old, you know, th there's a, and there's a young 29 year old guy who was, you know, my partner in crime drew down there, who was, you know, part of the origin of this whole story. And, you know, he pushed me to be like, I bet you could do it. Like, why don't, why don't we do it? Like, what's the worst thing? Like if we, we get into Christmas time and you decide with your kid, you know, I have three daughters as well, you know, a 13 year old, I have a teenage daughter, uh, you know, 13, 11 and nine. And he was like, what, you know, if we end up having to change it to Monday through Friday or change it to three days a week, you know, so be it, but like, let's try it. And I will say like, I mean, holy hell, like I, not only did I figure out that I can make it work, but you know, it's, it's also one of those things like once you kind of get to that piece, you also learn yourself as a creator, you learn yourself as, you know, like, you know, your own like little productivity habits. And, you know, I'm very blessed. Like I had, you know, we had grown that team uh, up to 12 people on the team. Every one of those people, except for Drew, had actually come from listeners of the podcast that had volunteered and said, hey, we're fans. We love this. Can you need help in your discord? Can I help in the discord? Hey, you, you need help scheduling guests. Hey, you know, I, and 12 people I mean, from this freaking amazing Web3 community jumped in and said, hey, we just love what you're doing. How can we be a part of it? And like, I think that's another thing that gets kind of under talked about in this space is that there just are some amazing humans 
that are willing to you know step up and support and celebrate and, and come on these journeys and you don't have to be you know the ridiculous talking head you know like ourselves that are on the microphone all the time you know to make an impact on a lot of this content and creation and you know i i you know as much as i get asked the question about 365 days if it wasn't for this team that that ended up you know really being such a, an amazing vehicle you know we were we were we dro we dropped nfts december of 2021 that sold out we dropped creator coins you know we had this thing called proof of podcast where if you listen to the episode in the first 24 hours, went to our website and answered the keyword, you would get airdropped an NFT. Like we did that in 2021, like the the, the uh, you know 2022, the 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 uh, you know the early 2022 uh, years, and uh, I mean it was so much freaking fun and wild and and but I owe a lot to the, you know having a team and just great people in this space that you know stepped up and supported us. Yeah, that's crazy. So what was your what was your first NFT that you did with the 365? Ooh, so um, so I did the ENS. And then domain, what was your which, and then what was your last? <laughs> ooh, so I, I like where you're going here. So yeah, my, the ENS domain was actually number one. But there's a funny story of that because um, just like everything I do, like I like you know I, I like I'm very impulsive. It has to do with a little bit of ADHD people. Yeah. And I see Drew. Drew's already giving the thumbs down to this. Um, but when I, we were coming up with the podcast, I said, you know what, this space. You know, we have wag me, there's GM, there's friends with, the, we decided to shorten the word friends for whatever reason. I was like, I can't just call it like NFT 365. So I came up with the idea that we're just going to call it N3F6T5. That was literally the name of the show when it launched. Um, I think it took about 12 episodes before I realized A, near impossible to say, B, confusing as all, all hell, but the very first day we minted uh, that ENS domain. So it is uh, n3f6t5.eth uh, was day one. Uh, and day two, just because I remember that one from a, you know, that kind of, uh, you know, that concept on that side uh, was Chibi Labs. So Chibi Labs, oh, uh, I had yeah, actually minted yeah, yeah. their original project. Yeah. And so, yeah, the team over there, big fan of Matt. Actually, uh, there's a lot of cool, like I, I'm a big like I like numbers I like nostalgia. So Matt, the the one of the co-founders of Chibi, was actually my first guest because the first 42 episodes I did solo because I really didn't want to deal with guests. And then I realized I was annoyed with my own voice for 42 episodes. And so I was like, wait, if I minted my first PFP mint in the collection was Chibi, then how cool would it be to have, you know, the, the Chibi founder on uh, as my first guest. So that was kind of the kind of origin of that. And it was, um, you know, and it was a wild ride. I mean, I tell you what, they just like the whole uh, thing of it. And, and funny enough, you know, like we started November 11th, right? So it was five days after that, uh, NFT NYC. And, you know, for everybody that remembers back in those days, right? Like if you sneezed out a project, it sold out, right? So it was early on, it was a nightmare for me to figure out because not only did I have to find a project that was in the mint phase, but I had to have a backup because so many projects minted out too fast. And if it minted out, I couldn't use that project because the criteria that I, you know, deployed myself, right? And this was just because I wanted a container on it, was it had to be minted pre-reveal, like that was my, so if something minted out and they, they were, you know, revealing in 24 hours and I could buy it on secondary, like that would count. But if it, if it had already revealed or was, you know, was not in the mint phase, then I couldn't include it um, in the collection. And so I'll actually, I'll, I'll pin up here um, in the, in the nest. I actually have a Twitter thread, which I feel, I think might be the longest Twitter thread of Twitter thread uh, history. Because how many, uh, how many every, tweets, how many tweets is it? Well, so every day, for three, <laughs> oh, so three sixty-five. Uh, yeah, Damn, so and, and there were some days that oh I that I God. like would wait three days and tweet. But here, I'll show you that I wrote a thread. I thread. I wrote a thread like two days ago. It was like seventy something tweets, and I thought Ooh. like, oh, I might have. I think I might have like broke the like broke the rules or like because it doesn't really show them all. You know, it shows like thirty or something, and then it's then it says see more. But you wrote the biggest one, as far as I know. Now, <laughs> you definitely yeah. Did. Well, and 
You, you know, it's one of those things. It's one of those things too. Like it's kind of a funny like because like I mean, as I started, I thought it was a great idea, but then I realized like a that's a lot. You know, there's a lot. There's a lot of things that you know to do this whole you know process, right? Like you know, not only was it like, I, and I made a lot of mistakes. Like I mean, I was like, dude, why don't we just keep doing these on different blockchains, right? So I started minting on like you know the Wave blockchain. I have we have an NFT in the project. You know, most people don't even know of the Wave blockchain, let alone know that the Wave blockchain even had NFTs. And so I did started doing uh, you know a lot of those. Uh, you know, different things. And the, the thing that you didn't realize is like every one of them required a new wallet. Every one of them required a new seed phrase. Every one of them required like, how the hell do I get my crypto over there to freaking buy it? Right. Like, there's a lot of like, of like those type lessons that, um, painful, you know, that we had a painful of experience. Oh, no question about it. Some of the, some <laughs> of the worst. Right. And, and like, and I'll tell you like, and like some of them, you know, some, I mean, some of them were great because like, I could tell you like, if, if you want someone that can share minting experiences and give advice to pro, you know projects and companies that are are wanting to build a mint experience, I, I don't believe anyone could like I minted thirty six different like mark, marketplace experiences. We went back and like kind of looked through it, right? And so like I mean, even on Solana, inside of you know Solana, I minted on six of their their block uh, their marketplaces into the collection, right? So not just Magic Eden, not just you know Soul C, not just Soul Art. Like I was you know if this project had this utility, I was going to go find it. And that was the other thing I took a lot of pride in and I just pinned it up there to the nest. Um, nice. But yeah, so on a, November 15th, 2021, I started that Twitter thread and you can literally just keep scrolling. Um, and, and for those that don't know, there's a button at the top right of Twitter threads that says reader. You can click the reader one and it makes it a lot easier to read a, a giant thread like that. I don't know if everybody knows that as a little hack, but um, yeah, you can go through and you can see there's some rugs in there. There's some ones that might surprise you in um, you know, the journey. But the, the answer to the last part of that question the last week, I don't know if anybody remembers what November 11th, 2022 week was, but that was our, our good friend SBS, you know, our SBS, you know, FTX. Yeah, the, SBA, the FTX meltdown, yeah. yeah, yeah. So I figured, I was like, what, what kind of other way could this turn, you know, the last week of this crazy project, and we have to deal with FTX uh, and that world. And funny enough, you know, we... I personally minted an NFT over there on the FTX side, but I didn't for the collection because on that day, there was another project that was actually a lot better. And I was like, oh, I'll mint this one for the collection. I'll mint my own over there on FTX. And, uh, you know, rest in peace, that one, because uh, that, that one uh, is no longer found. But yeah, you can, anyone that wants to check it out, you can, and we have, we have a spatial um, you know, metaverse where you can actually walk through and look at every NFT. You can start on number one, walk walk through the entire gallery. You can see all the NFTs we minted from, you know, little pudgies. And, uh, you know, we had, you know, lots, lots of really interesting and, you know, there's a bunch of one-on-one art as well. Um, and, you know, interestingly enough, uh, most of the one-on-one art is the stuff that's worth the most uh, of there. I minted Ren uh, Renga uh, into the collection, which was oh, you know, one of the, one of the good finds. So, nice. Yeah, yeah there you go. Renga was in there. So, yeah, that was, there's a couple of those, um, those types. You know, I, we did, you know, Matt Caesar, Brian Brinkman, um, Eric Para. Um, you know, some really great like one of one artist, uh, Sabit. I mean, I have, I have three of Sabit's pieces um, that are in the collection. I, I'm, I, I mean, I hold over 200 of Sabit's pieces total um, individually. So I'm a big fan of his. Um, but yeah, so there's lots of like, you know, it's a definitely a, I tried like when I would look at the end of the month, I would assess what the utility was. And I was like, ooh, if I didn't, if I didn't have a metaverse play or a gaming play in the last month, I would look for projects that had that. Uh, if I didn't have one that, you know, were, if I went a string of non-female founders or non, uh, you know, uh, you know, founders that weren't from a diverse background, I would go try to seek out those projects. And I mean, it, it, it was a shitload. I thought the podcast was going to be the thing that was the most work. I will just tell you the freaking buying an NFT every day, 10 times more work than doing a pod. I would do a podcast episode every day, hand over fist before I would do the whole NFT thing every day. Cause that was, that was a shitload of work. 
It sounds like a lot of work. Just thinking about like how the user experiences are bad on some of these chains and wallets. It's brutal. I mean, not to hate on Polygon, but Polygon sucks. And uh, at least it did back then. You know, it's probably getting better now. And yeah, you know, back a, then, back a good then, team in no place. one understands. Yeah. How hard it was to get a Polygon NFT. Like I tried I, between Poly and Ada, like just trying to figure out like, and this was, you know, like 2021 days, like that fall, like I tried hard a couple of times to like, to figure it out. And I yeah. was like, I was Brutal. like four hours in, I was like, this is just, you know, and not to mention like, not only was the minting experience bad, but like a lot of the wallet UX UI, like it, it's, it's really sad when you can start to appreciate, you think that MetaMask has a good UI UX cause they don't, but yeah, compared to awful. the, like try, try finding some of these wallets that are on, uh, on some of these other, like, you know, especially layer twos. Like, I think we, I think there's like six or eight layer two uh, NFTs that we minted. Um, and a lot of those, right? Like, holy hell, was that just a, you know, like I, I had to do like three different versions of conversion of my crypto. Then I had to set up a wallet that was over there that could even accept that crypto. And then all of a sudden they'd be like, oh, but you have to pay gas in ETH. And I was like, wait, now I got to get ETH to that same wallet that I couldn't figure out how to get the crypto for the, the you know, the, the NFT that came with. So lots of lessons, uh, definitely one hell of a journey. Yeah, it's crazy. That is, that is a that is a crazy journey, my man. You have a lot of wallets like hanging around out there, and and you're say you said you were like batching them up to like sell them as like a collection, right? Is that what you were doing? Yeah. So the, we yeah so we have the whole so you know that's where we're at right now, right? And that was that's probably another thing. You know, like my idea was, what if this is a time capsule that someone could buy? And they will own all 365 NFTs from that year. Really, I mean, I mean, how cool is that? From like, you know, in the next couple of years, someone can look back and you have all of these NFTs. Um, and as I started kind of pulling this together, not only is it all these different wallets, um, but they're you know trying to kind of you know represent that within a smart contract and a way to sell it um, has been a little bit bigger of a feat. I have a you know working with two developers now. Uh, we're going to use some Soulbound tokens to kind of map. Um, some of the things, you know, kind of back. Um, but yeah, we're going to sell it as one collection. So one person, whoever buys it, um, they will get, you know, all 365 NFTs and it'll be, you know, theirs to, to hold. And, and we sold, we sold, um, you know, I wanted to make sure this was part of the community. So early on, I dropped uh, NFTs. Uh, I did I did a series of uh, 22 founders NFTs and 365 super fans NFTs. And each one of them has a small percentage of that entire collection so when we sell it 52 percent of that will actually go to those that were supporting us from the beginning so they actually own 52 percent of this uh entire collection it was just my way of like let's grow together you know kind of you know the mantra of the of the whole podcast is uh, we is greater than me right so like how do we lift each other up as the as the greater we and uh so yeah i still own them and we will hopefully be uh, I actually, I, my plan was actually today to be testing out um, one of the one of the things that we're working on inside of the contract with the Soulbound tokens. Um, and if we can get that kind of worked out, the goal is to get it live uh, as an auction uh, sometime this month. So, if you had to guess, what would be the top three most valuable NFTs in that three sixty five collection? Ooh, so you know, I, it's 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 a. You very should have it on an Excel spreadsheet, my man. Oh, oh, oh yeah, <laughs> well, we got that's more Excel value, right? We got what more expect. What would you say, Mary Beth? Define value. Like, how did you know what's yeah. most valuable to you? Well, it, or and like more valuable in like what the the project you know. Because like here's the thing too, right? When I was buying, there were some projects that I was like, shit, this is a badass project, but I can't guarantee after 90 days that their utility would be worth something, right? Like I remember in January of 2022, there was there was multiple days where the better project for short term was not the project I bought. But because if you remember, 
I knew I was holding every one of them till, through November of, the, of that year. So my goal wasn't looking for a project that I thought was going to be, you know, an instant return. And, you know, and, and you know, in my personal bag, if you, some of the projects I bought and flipped and, and, and during those times, I didn't include in this collection because I was like, how do I even know that they're going to be there? And, and I'll tell you, there's a couple, you know, there's a couple art pieces, one of them on Solana, actually. Um, and then another one um, on ETH, uh, one by it's Eric Paré and Kim Henry. Um, we minted the, the art piece for uh, 0.2 ETH was what it was. And of course, let's also remember, you know, I was spending 0.2 ETH to mint. Um, and then I was probably spending 0.1 ETH to, to gas, right? Because this is, this is a whole different, you know, pre, uh, pre uh, the, the merge, pre a lot of the other, you know, uh, criteria. Um, but that, that collection, I believe the floor on it is, is four and a half ETH now for, for the floor on that, um, that photo um, that we bought inside of that one. So like you could look at that one as like a very, I mean, one hell of a return, right? The, the one that we spent, you know, this is also the other flip of it, right? Because I didn't really put like a, a parameter on how much I could spend. But remember, I was bootstrapping this myself, right? So there's, a, I mean, lots of like, you know, kind of things that kind of go into it. But we spent um, 0.9 ETH on Killer Girlfriend uh, NFT project. So when they, that was the mint price. Uh, it's just kind of crazy to think about that too. Just like a PFP project dropping at a 0.9 and that was, you know, it was different uh, day and time. Um, but, you know, we, like I said, we had, uh, you know, Renga is in the, is in the collection. Uh, you know, Little Pudgies are in the collection, which I, that's one of my favorite use cases because, you know, we minted Little Pudgies for anyone, that, you know, Pudgy Penguins, it was their second one. And I will tell you, the first eight months after we minted that, um, it never came close to mint price. Like, not even, like, it wasn't even like, I, I think it was like, you know, I think mint price is 0.25, I believe. And I believe it was it was hovering 0.01 for the longest while, and then all of a sudden they started adding some utility. Pudgy Penguin started kind of uh, kind of expanding on it, and I believe the floor now is like 0.48. And I think that's a fun one to kind of just like look at from this kind of like diamond hand mentality because there are projects that you know you know early on and and during some time they will just at the time just look like they have zero value, right? What the hell are they worth? Of course. But you know, looking back at it now, you know the fact that and, and it's a pretty rare one in the collection. Like and I just clicked on it now, right? The floor on that little pudgy with, you know, based on, you know, on the properties of the NFT, it's a 0.94 floor. But for most of that, <laughs> that time that I was in this, in, the, in my own wallet, uh, it wasn't even at the mint price. And now it's almost at a, worth an ETH. So I think that's a cool little, you know, kind of byproduct of this whole collection. Yeah, it's very interesting. Um, it's definitely a really, really smart way of like holding yourself accountable for 365. You're like, hey, I'm going to buy an NFT. And then it gives you a topic to talk about that day as well which is really, really cool. It's always that tent pole of discussion, which I find fascinating. It's definitely a great idea. You've been in the space, obviously, top shot. You've been through it all. What have you noticed in terms of sentiment from then up until now? Like, how, how has it shifted? And, like, do, have you noticed, like, is there 80% of the people, 85% of the folks that were in the space gone, gone silent? Like, what, what have you seen? Because... For me, I've noticed like a whole bunch of sentiment. I, I didn't get involved in Top Shots and I didn't get involved in Apes, even though I was around. I didn't really mint any of those things. The Apes didn't make sense to me either, right? It just didn't make sense. Like the art wasn't amazing, right? I was just like, I don't know why they're buying these things, whatever. I got it afterwards, but it was like, again, out of my price window at the point at that point, at least so I thought. And who would have thought they would go to 100 ETH and be worth a half a million dollars at one point, uh, you know, floor ones. How have you seen the sentiment change from like the top shot all the way through the, you know, the bull market and then the crash? Have you seen like, what, just give me your version of like what you think you've seen. 
Oh, all right. So, I mean, I, I think, you know, there's some truth here to, you know, we've lost a lot of really great humans that were in this space that could do great things for this culture and this community. And we lost them for a variety of reasons, right? There, there were a lot of people that unfortunately, you know, made, you know, either their own calculated, you know, missteps or mistakes. Um, there was also like this feeling of, you know, if you build it, not only will they come and it sells out, but you'll just kind of ride this like euphoria high. And I mean, especially that, you know, that summer and fall of 21, like, I mean, holy hell. Like, I mean, it was, I, I've never, like, I would get up so damn excited. I would have this, like, I would, I remember I'd open my notes app and I would list out like 12 projects that were minting that day. And I would be like, man, like these founders like have it, right? And like, if you think about how many, you know, projects and, you know, we had different, you know, there was definitely, you know, drama and there's definitely things like happening during those times. But, you know, the, the, a lot of the nuanced things, like, I mean, how ridiculous was it where, like, I don't think I ever, I, there was, it went months before I checked Gwai. Like, I was just like, oh, gas sucks right now, sucks for me, and I would mint, right? Like, because we were, like, there was no such thing as a like, gas wars. Like, gas wars were the byproduct of, like, eight months when someone decided to look back and be like, wait, I just spent five ETH on gas? Like, what the hell uh, are we that doing? That was me. Like, By we... the way, that was absolutely <laughs> me. <laughs> right? Like, I mean, I spent it was... five ETH on gas in 2021. I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> it's wild, right? Like, isn't that like a wild, I mean, it's just a wild, you know, you know, kind of piece of this. You know, I will say like, you know, I think that, that we went through like this idea of, wow, like NFT projects are the, are, are just like, that's where the money is to be made or being the collector that, that is in the right groups in the right alpha circles, like, you know, being that like, you know, hyperly connected person. And then I think there, we came through this like other kind of like, you know, continue through that bull run, but we got in this space where if you were, if you were good at collecting, the question wasn't why are you good at collecting? It was when are you going to launch your own project? Which I, I I would argue it's it's the same mistakes that people have made, in my opinion, for years, telling people that everyone should be an entrepreneur by themselves. Because not everyone is cut out to be an entrepreneur. And entrepreneurship sucks, just for clarity of like, you know, your mental health and like the rolling, like you should surround yourself with great teams. And, and I think many people have an entrepreneur mindset, but it doesn't mean that you should run your own business and have to handle all of the things that come with it. And so, you know, for me, like as that time was going through, I think that idea of like, oh, if you believe in you're here, you should launch your own project. But we also started to get a little bit smarter and recognize like, hey, we want more than a roadmap that like, let's be truthful. We were the problem because we believed that that a roadmap with dates that we knew was impossible. Like nobody was going to launch a TV show on netflix in 30 days yet we'd be like dude this project look at their roadmap like they're gonna launch an nft like they're gonna launch a like we didn't or even a see game it. in like yeah, or three game, months like, yeah or, or the game was like, the oh, the game was like the big one for me it was always it was and it the was coins, always right? like, i mean like i always like people like go back and look at like first time apecoin was mentioned and then how long it took that brand to launch a coin and yet during that time we would look at projects and be like oh you minted out last month you know, when, when coin, we're going to get coin this month. Like when, when are you going to, and so I think that like kind of, you know, as a whole, I think we definitely lost, you know, oh, I mean, you said 80%, like, I don't know what the percentage of, of people I, I've, I've said this. I just met 80% while. on Twitter. I've noticed like, there's nobody, yeah. like so many people are just not on Twitter anymore. Like they just left as soon as the bear hit, it feels like it was like a ghost town. So. Well, and I'll, and I'll say the thing I think we need to like, what we, I, this is just me like, cause I care a shitload about this space. What we have to have to be worried about right now is reboarding people, right? Like we talk a lot about mass adoption. We talk about like onboarding. Like there are people that got into this space 
probably with the right intentions and the right people. And we're probably set up thinking like this is the right project. And, you know, and not every one of the projects that disappeared were rugs. A lot of them were people that founded a project without understanding what it took to run a project or a business or to run all of the nuanced things. There are other ones that were like, oh, well, I didn't plan on doing this for the, the next the whole like next couple of years. And like there are people that got into some things, spent some of their hard on money, believed in the community, believed in utility, believed in all the things that we like we as a core believe, but unfortunately had a couple bad turns, right? Or, you know, they went, you know, like I was exploited, right? I I, I shared this before, right? Ten years in cybersecurity. Uh, I have the you know, I have a background and pedigree, probably more so than just about uh, a majority of people in this space. And the ApeCoin exploit got me, right? So on March, on March 20, or March, yeah, March 22nd, uh, I my wallet was compromised, and uh, you know I had tried to mint a project, and you know, it always I always laugh. I was minting, uh, I was actually I, I tried to mint, but Juicebox Friends was the name of the project. Yeah, I know this. It minted I know out. This project, yeah, yep. Yeah, and I jumped onto OpenSea to buy it because I was like, oh, it minted out. I kicked my daughters off of Roblox. And I was like, shit, I'm just going to go buy it on, on OpenSea. It, it minted out too fast, and it's not revealing. So I went on to OpenSea to buy it. And unfortunately, um, you know, not at, my, at the time, I didn't know this. Um, but uh, you know, previously, within the previous weekend, um, through my email, I was actually exploited. My computer was exploited. Um, and they were actually able to be able to look at my, uh, my, you know, my computer and actually were able, you know, for, through that process, got access to be able to um, control my wallet. And so, you know, I clicked the button to, to buy the, the juice box friends uh, on OpenSea. And I was like, what the hell? It didn't go through. I'm like, I checked the gas prices, clicked it a second time. And then I was like, this is so stupid. So I closed my browser, opened it up. I'm like, there's only one tab open. It's OpenSea. I unlocked my wallet again. I'm like, what the hell is going on? And I clicked it a third time and it didn't work. And the fourth time, uh, my email notification popped up for for Coin Tracker, uh, you know, and it said, you know, these NFTs are being moved from your wallet, and I was like, what? And yeah. you know, that was it's the, like uh, everybody's nightmare right there. You literally, I'm sure you were just like, what? It, it wrecked me. It it and you know, I, I was yeah. thankful. Like, I mean, I went into like the massive damage control. Like, I mean, I was I, I was asking friends. To and buy. you're a cybersecurity guy. I mean, can you believe this? <laughs> exactly. Like, this is it, this is the interesting part. Like, everybody's like. Oh, well, you know, you know, be safe and don't be so stupid to click links and don't be so. And it's like, dude, it's not stupid. All it takes is like one second to get yep. compromised. And it's, it can be anybody. It can be the smartest person on the planet. I remember there was people actually um, in the space that were bragging about how awesome they were and how nothing could ever happen to them. And then literally months later they get hacked and they're like, Oh, everybody that like hates. Us. And this, these were people like that were hating on other people that literally got hacked and called them dumb. They get hacked and they're like, Oh, it's stupid. They like make fun of people that get hacked. And I'm like, Oh, are you kidding me? Like yep. you were the guy that you, was hating on everybody that was going to get hacked. about 90 seconds <laughs> after I realized my wallet was getting compromised. I hit screen record because I'm a content creator. So I have nine hours of my of of me going to revoke.cash me me opening up like nine like I created new wallets I was like I'm like hey put a weath offer on this one I want to like and I was literally like as damage controlling as you can get and I and recorded it all and I did a and remember this is in the middle of doing a daily podcast right and yeah. I you know like, I was wrecked right and it was and like thankfully or not thankfully a majority of the NFTs that were stolen um, were out of my personal wallet right that that you know there were ones that had the highest volume um, you know i was big into psychedelics anonymous um, you know they, they wiped through my uh, you know my entire ba at that time uh, and this was during you know apecoin so it's kind of like you know one could argue this was you know, near the end of the bull run but we were still you know bull run market and you know i think they were i think they were averaging 
in 30 minutes, they were either transferring out or reselling uh, 39 of my NFTs. Like, I mean, and I, you know, at, that, at that time, I think there's 480 NFTs in that wallet. Um, and I didn't have, it wasn't the only wallet I used. I had a, I had a ledger that had my quote unquote vault wallet. But, you know, and interestingly enough, I also, you know, I preached three wallets and I have a burner wallet that I mint off of. And the reason that I didn't use that one for this instance was because I was going on OpenSea. Like I, and I will tell you, the, the error was my fault. Let's be very clear. If I had read the pop-up, I would have known that I was giving access to this contract. But I in, my, in my cybersecurity brain was, hey, I made sure that the only tab was open was OpenSea. I made sure that, you know, like, I mean, how many people have done that where you're on OpenSea and, like, and I just let my guard down and I didn't read the pop-up, didn't recognize. I will also argue if we could get open, um, MetaMask to do any one thing, why do they not change the color of the button on the pop-up? If, if we're signing something, it should be one color. If we're transferring something, it should be one color. Like, Jesus, everything we do in life, there's different colors. Like, I mean, we have, like, it's kind of like the, if our stoplights were all one freaking color, if our stoplight were all orange, like, we'd all be fucked. And that's kind of what happens here because like, they're like, oh, you should read the, the fine print of things above shoulda, coulda, woulda, but you could protect our asses if you at least just change the color. I mean, it's a soapbox of mine. I have I wrote an entire white paper to MetaMask, submitted it through their entire thing. I never heard anything back on that, so anyone, someone in this room might have more influence um, than I do. But I will tell you, here's one of the crazy cool parts. Not in, But to this day, I've never shared, and actually I think one of the people in the room um, that are in here, I've never shared the messages I got on that day from other people that are influential in this space because I came out Within the minute that my wallet was hacked, I said, oh, shit. I think the tweet says, oh, shit, my wallet's getting drained. And then I captured the content. And that next morning, I put out the whole video on how, you know, all these NFTs were happening. And I shared openly, like, hey, like, I somehow clicked the wrong one. I was compromised. Here's what happened. And, and the community rallied. But I will tell you, the amount of DMs I got from people that today, you would not believe the names, that DM me and say, hey, Fanzo, I just want you to know, I had the same thing happen to me. And it wrecked my mental health but I felt that I could never share it publicly because people would not think I was authoritative and they would not think that I was smart and they would not think that I was influential. And they were like, so they had to like hold that in. And it wasn't until I shared. So they were like, oh, fuck me. Like, they're like, thank God there's someone there. And I've never shared any ever. And I will never because like, but it was also one of those vehicles for me, like in this whole journey was like, I also was able to kind of normalize that. And I will also tell anyone, it is a feeling that I never understood until my wallet was compromised. I felt violated at a level that I'd never even thought of. I felt like shamed. I felt, you know, just, and even these poor people that were rebuying my NFTs on looks rare. And then people were like going at them in the discord being like, you asshole, you just bought that from Fanzo. How did you not know that's his? He's been his PFP. And these poor people just like, they got excited. They got a rare NFT on the floor. They sniped it. They probably been waiting their entire week, you know, months to kind of get lucky to get one of the, and like, for those people to then, to then be like to treat it that way, like the whole thing just sucks. Like it's just like there's it not like yep. it's just a, the process. And so I, I say that because like that was also like a, a byproduct. Because I will tell you when I you know Drew who's here as well, like I you know I told him when I think it was like month I think we were right around like mint number thirty, and I said you know what, who is the number one person that has the vulnerability of getting hacked right now? It's me. 
because I'm literally minting, not not just buying, because there's yeah, plenty of people that bought more NFTs than you're me. A target. But yeah, I was minting. So I was going to every shady website, right? I was going to, you know, I had two accounts that were over, you know, that were hitting the 200 Discord limit on two different Discords that were on my computers because I needed to go in the Discord and figure out to research if I wanted to mint the project in a week. So like I knew my exposure rate was high, which is why I had a mint burner wallet, which is why I had a couple of these things set in place. But unfortunately... Even though I background in cybersecurity, I had multiple wallets set up. I let my guard down one freaking time, right? Like, and there, there is really no excuse to that point other than I do believe we can put some other parameters and things in there to make us hopefully, you know, protect ourselves from ourselves. And um, anyway, and thankfully, you know, I got two that, FA you know, is the simplest way. I mean, why it, can't true. you just, why can't you just add two FA? <laughs> but, the, but the funny thing about that though, is you think about it, I, I, at that point, if two FA was there, I would have two FA that, that um, access because I thought I was an open sea and buying a juice box. Yeah. Room. But like, would you have, would you have two FA someone transferring or selling you one correct, of your correct. PAs? No, you know, I'm like, which no, I, uh, that's right, the trigger. Which I wouldn't have, right? Yeah. Yep, exactly. That is the trigger. Yep. Simple fix. Yeah, and, and like, and also just the, like, I, I do think there's also, you know, in this world of AI, and I'm a big believer in AI, we also can use AI behaviors to understand behaviors that are not normal for a wallet. Like that wallet that was, that got compromised I didn't list shit from that wallet. Like, they're, they're, I mean, if you went and looked at the, I think probably over the six months that that wallet, you know, that that individual one that got compromised, I think it, I, I'd only listed twice or three times, sold two NFTs total. And so, like, if there was, like, all of a sudden this, like, anomaly of, like, all of a sudden there's, like, 80 NFTs that are, you know, that are not only listed, but they're accepting every WEATH offer, many of them, you know, 90% below the floor, like, they're... It would have been really, you know, there's some really interesting like things within that. And I know with, you know, the new protocol and things that are coming out that, you know, hopefully we're pushing uh, that forward. But yeah, I, I try to say that because um, if we can just help, you know, give people grace that have been compromised and just realize that if you haven't been like kudos, like I, 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 I don't know how you've done it, but also just know it is the most you know, humiliating and it just sucks. Like nothing you can you really say more than, you know, it sucks. And, you know, I think the, you know, it's it's another one of these things that, you know, of this whole space is that, you know, imagine if that was your, you, you had bought three of your favorite NFTs and you did what I did. Like, there's no wonder you left this space. Cause like, I will tell you, if it wasn't for this community and the fact that I was doing the podcast every day, it would have been really hard for me to keep the optimism and the positivity and like to, to stay committed in this space when that happened to me, knowing that, you know, like, it, and it was the first hour, like the, they, they, their total sales of kind of owning my wallet was nine ETH worth of NFTs were stolen in the first, like within the first hour. Um, and, you know, and like, you know, and some of, most of them I minted, I, I was the original holder, right? Like, and I lost that original one. And uh, yeah, it's just a, it was a, a wild time. And we're, we're actually coming up on the, the anniversary of that, you know, I think in 10 days of that day. And um, yeah, it's, it's just been wild. Yeah, it's brutal, my man. Uh, I got hacked to just say a uh, very similar way. So uh, January 4th, 2022, lost everything. So uh, if you can make it through that, you can make it through anything, guys. Um, if you ever want to take a look at it, just type in Luke Bean on OpenSea and you'll see you'll see that wallet and you'll see what I had in that wallet. I lost so much. <laughs> it's so much, guys. Um, my computer got compromised too. It wasn't... Uh, it wasn't just the wallet. It was actually my entire computer got compromised from someone sending me an invoice as a PDF. That was, a, that was my friend that I've, that I knew for over a year. So just so you know, like he, these people play the long game and you got to be really, really careful what you do. And uh, even if you have a Mac, by the way, it's still, my computer still got compromised. 
So yeah, like, and can I tell you guys, like back in Jan January 4th, 2022, I was victim shamed like crazy. People were like, change your PFP. We don't care. F you get out of the space. I have so many DMs still, so many messages on Twitter and so many people I blocked after that. Like who shames people for getting all of your assets stolen? Like the same thing happened to NFT God. They were in their, his DMs, change your PFP, you got it stolen, all this stuff. I reached out to the people that like had bought my items and uh, tried to get them back. And those people had zero empathy, zero anything. They're just like, you know, sorry for your loss, pound sand. And uh, it didn't really matter. Like none of them care. So if you get a car stolen, right, in the United States, let's just say, if someone steals your car, and you, even if you leave the keys in it, you don't get, people don't say anything bad about you. They're just like, hey, your car still got stolen, right? And if someone's driving around your car and, you know, you have a, you know, it's a $50,000 car and they got it for like two grand and they get pulled over in a stolen car, you know what happens to them? <laughs> like they don't, it doesn't matter if they bought it off the street from some guy they have a bill of sale, they get arrested and they go to jail and you get your car back <laughs> in this space. It's like thoughts and prayers and just move along. And I lost literally guys, like, I don't want to make this about me, but 90% of the people I was friends with, like turned their back on me because I got hacked. Like I was like some bad person. Ugh, Dude, I, I'm not I, dead serious. All these people, brutal. you're yeah. like my best friend in the space. Like literally within 48 hours, like none of them talked to me anymore. So I was just like, okay, that's the strangest scenario I've ever seen in my life. I got my car, my car stolen. And then everybody like, that I was friends with me that I told I got my car stolen. Like <laughs> didn't talk to me anymore. Cause I got my car. It was just the weirdest thing. Anyway, I agree with that statement, but let's get back to you, my man. Um, do you think it's changed though? Sentiment wise, like at the end of the day, I know like we're, we were, we kind of like talked around it, but what, do you think there's like 80, 85% of the people that are gone? Do you think? It's I mean, yeah, there's, I mean, there's definitely, I mean, we've definitely seen a, a changing, uh, you know, and, and a, a change all the way around. Um, and I, I said this, you know, almost a year ago now. Uh, actually, it was a little over a year ago. One of the things I think we also had to look at was, you know, there were a lot of people that they're, like, what they're great at is launching a startup. But when their startup starts to get really success, they also know that they need to sell the, like, they, they no longer, you know, other founder, the CEO. We, you know, we could even argue Steve Jobs, right? Like, Steve yeah. Jobs. They're good at building point, initially, right? Yeah. right? They're good at building initially, yeah. and then they need to step away and let somebody else take over for the next that, next phase of growth. I mean, that's just and, and where do we sometimes. where do we make that normalized in this space right now like we don't like if it's a, a life a debt project, this is a, a project yeah. is a life debt if you work as a community manager in a project if you work as a coder in a project if you work as whatever it is it's literally like that person can never leave and it's like no yeah. dude this is a company companies kind of like you know internally like people don't get along sometimes the man like people that are like running it want to go a different direction, like maybe even a crazy direction. Do you have philosophical differences? People melt down. Relationships are some of the biggest ones that ruin companies along. Just look at the, like throughout the ages, they fired Steve Jobs right. <laughs> from his own yeah. company because of <laughs> that. Company, like, come right? on. Yeah. And, and, you know, and they also brought him back, right? So like there's yeah, something that's also something we have to like, we have to normalize. Like if someone like all of a sudden is having a kid or someone is, is, you know, making a, a major life choice. Like if they take a lesser role um, in a period of time and they're able to relinquish some of that to someone else, like, I think we should applaud that, right? We should find ways to, to, to make that. And so I think, you know, I, I'm bullish as all hell on like the belief in this, in what this space represents. Right. Um, I don't believe like the, you know, 
the the like the sentiment that like the bull run, you know, like I I, I do think the bear market, you know, people people talk about you know it's the best time to build and it flushes out a lot of the bad, but it it doesn't really I think that doesn't mean like all of the bad is gone right there and it doesn't mean a lot of our bad behaviors or our bad essence of the culture it doesn't still exist right like we still have some a ways to work through some of these like you know like I mean we have to hold our own selves accountable like we are grown ass humans. And if we are making financial decisions on our own, you know, on our own things, like we have to, like, yes, you might have listened to the wrong person and, and you probably shouldn't listen to that person. That person probably should have been transparent, but you also have to own a little bit on, you know, yourself. And we also have to recognize, like, if we want people to innovate, and this is like my big soapbox right now, like, and I, I see punters in here and, you know, I've been, I've been loving the DGen network spaces on a love, regular basis love me right some, now. Love me some punter, man. He's good. dude. Yeah. Good, people. good, good dude. And the, the whole, like, you know, there are just some really great factions of, of humans in this space right now, but I will tell you that like we have to figure out how to reward innovation in this space in the sense of like rewarding from like, you know, calling a project. Cause right now, I mean, think about it, the projects that innovate most of the time, if it, if it doesn't pump our bag with innovation, we think they're a waste of time. They've lost their, they're lost their focus. Who the hell are they yet? we still struggle to see some of these things like kind of be adopted or new things be implemented. And so like, that's really where my head is at is like, you know, how can we shift some of these big culture things and also take a little bit more accountability, but also we have to just recognize that like a lot of the core, you know, I would say core issues within this space aren't related to blockchains or NFT. They're just related to humans, right? Like it's, right. it's why we, like we say like SPF and, and uh, FTX was not a blockchain problem. Like if all of that was on the blockchain, Everybody would have been good because we would have seen access to all their shady money flopping back and forth and, you know, Robin Peter, you know, pay Paul. But it wasn't on the blockchain. Like, that was a product of human greed. And I think some of the, the, the underlying things that are still being exposed here are just cultural things that we just have to, like, no longer accept some things, right? And there's some power dynamics that, that, that can no longer be okay, right? We have to kind of change some of those narratives. And we also give some people some space to innovate and, uh, and, uh, and adapt. But... You know, I'm still just as bullish as I as I was. I'm probably more bullish now than I was before. But it it doesn't mean that I don't look at it from like we still have a lot of core work. Like I don't want mass adoption right now. We aren't freaking like you know mass adoption right now would wreck us because there just isn't. Like yes, it would bring in all the the, the liquidity that people want, but it would expose a lot of these like nuanced things that that still exist right now. And I think we have you know a little ways to work through that. And you know I'm okay working working through that as we go. Yeah, I think I also think that you're right about the the companies and stuff like that. Like we have to give people room to like build. And the problem I think the reason why we we these people are so critical and like really they they're not traditional investors. They're not financial they don't have financial literacy to understand that they're not investors in these projects. They're they're putting money into these projects hoping they go up. They're hoping that these are going to act like a, you know, some kind of windfall a lottery ticket right and then when there's no lottery ticket and there's no windfall and they can't flip for two or three or 10x or whatever it is they then start asking where's the utility and the the problem i think with that is like if you've if anybody's ever bought something on the internet like from amazon and it was like a 10 or 15 dollar or like a 50 dollar item and it sucks like I don't know about you guys, but I, I don't return everything to Amazon. I just like throw it away. If the, whatever that item is, like I literally bought something off of Amazon the other day. It was like 25 bucks. It broke within like 72 hours and I just threw it away and I was done with it. Cause I'm just like, it's just too, it's not even worth the effort to get a box, box it all back up, you know, all this stuff. And like, 
on Twitter, it seems like these, uh, again, retail investors are coming in and, you know, 25 bucks, a lot of money to them. And they're like, wait a minute, where's my, where's my utility? Where's the thing that it was? And it's like, you're buying art. You're buying the spec- or- speculative thing that there's no guarantee it's going to go up. And you're the adult who's buying it. Like if no one made you pull the trigger on buying an item, right? It's just the way it is. Sometimes you buy an item. And to be honest with you, my, my checklist is art and community are my only things I look at. Like the, the utility part, I almost never, because it's never really there. The utility is the art. The utility is the community to me. Like those are the, well, com- we those have, are the things. We also have to redefine like how, because I agree with everything you said, right? We have to redefine like, like if anyone has bought a ticket for a music festival, yes, right? like I'm that's a big another music one. guy, right? Exactly. Yeah. Right. And we go to a music festival and we have like the greatest time of our lives. And when we go outside a movie festival and we're sitting in our car, if we looked at our ticket stub and said, shit, no one's going to buy us back this ticket for 5X what I bought it for, and now consider that entire experience as a shitty one, that's kind of what we do in this space, right? Like you could, I mean, I will tell you, there's some projects that I, that oh, I wait, know. You know, it could even be a, a shitty music festival. You could be like, Hey, right, you know what? Correct. That actually turned out like it, the show wasn't as good as I thought it was going to be. And you can just like, you tell your friends like, damn, I, you know, I thought it was going to be good, but it like it hurt, like it was too loud. It hurt my ears. The people weren't very cool. There was a fight, you know, all sorts of stuff, but you don't go, I want my, here's my, where's, where's my utility for the ticket? Like, no, you just move on. You just go, okay, great. Try. It was a great event. Uh, you know, at least I thought it was going to be a great event. It didn't work out. Next event. Yeah. You know, just stop going it, to events. <laughs> right. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, like, and I think it, it weighs on our, our mental health as well. Right. If, if we are, if we are considering something that we did as a smart play or a smart decision based on the volume of trade or what the most recent person sold it, um, you know, for AKA floor price and you know volume of sales, then like, how does that help us even identify you know, good things in our, in our, like, if everything is, is like out of our control and like, you know, and I put that in air quotes, but like, that is also just a underlying, like kind of principle that we just have to like, to look at, right? Like if I make, like if I break even on something that, that, that helped me connect with good people, networked, helped me drive a speaking gig, yes. like the return on that is like, you know, $25,000 in my pocket, let alone like what it did for my mental health. Like breaking even on that isn't a loss and it's not breaking even. Like it, that is a freaking massive gain Yet, like, I mean, I, I, and, you know, and it's, it's something, it's, it's a, it's a tough, you know, when we add things like utility and art and we add all these, these other pieces, but yet, and I, I went on this soapbox the other day and, and, but if you go to OpenSea, like how does OpenSea, and this isn't shit on OpenSea, but it's like, how does OpenSea say what are the best projects, right? It's volume of sales and like floor price. And you're like, well, that doesn't reward any, like, why would someone build a project or an experience that is mind-blowingly amazing when when we don't have like a great way of of being able to demonstrate or facilitate what that is as far as like you know value to holders and you know experience and I, I think that that's unfortunate because I think we get we are hard as shit on ourselves for some of the decisions that we make in this space. And if we took a step back and realized like we got in the project for this and this and both of those we got but yet the project didn't last as long as we thought it might be. And yes, it might no longer exist, but if you already got out of it, what you were willing to put that money up for 100%. in the beginning, it's okay that it didn't come. It's, it's okay that it's gone to zero and it, it is tough. I mean, I mean we're, we're all human, right? Like if I, I open up my floor app and I'm like, Oh God, <laughs> like there's not like, there's like, Oh my God. Like, yeah. You get a wallet yeah, of shame. You know, Everybody has a wallet of shame. Let's be honest. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. But yeah, that, I mean, I, I mean, I love the space. I, th- I think there's so many great people in this. I think there's, 
a lot of great people that people just don't know about. I think there's a lot of great projects that people aren't aware of right now. Like, I mean, just some amazing people within these projects that are, you know, doing some things that are social good backed, some things that are community focused, some things that are like pop-up events or mental, uh, you know, mastermind style that like, you know, like I, I, I'm part of the National Speakers Association. I pay, you know, I pay like $1,800 a year or $2,000 a year to be a member, but then I have to pay local dues for my local chapter. And then I have to attend two of the events, which is about another 10 grand. And guess what happens every year? I pay that every single year as a National Speakers Association member. And the interesting thing about it is I don't get community online. They, they try. There are some content, but like I put all of that up each time and I keep doing that year after year after year. And that's kind of something normal for, you know, there's lots of people in business that I know that are parts of like, you know, 10 to 15 membership levels that are at that level. Right. And yet, like if, I mean, some of the NFT projects I have have given me 10x the return the NSA membership has given me. But yet we like, how do we gauge that or evaluate that? In, and that, that's, I mean, that's why when you, even when you ask the question, like what was the most valuable, you know, NFT in, in the wallet, right? Like some people would look at value as mint price to what it's worth now. Some people right. would look at it and say, what was the, the lowest floor price to what it is now? But others might look at it and say, what is the current access point? And what are they continuing to build to execute on? Because let's face it, like right now, if there are people that are building and that they have, you know, what we believe will be things that are actionable in the, in the, the near term, those projects that have low floors that are going to allow more people to enter are going to be the projects we are all going to regret not having. <laughs> because there will be a time when some of these projects that are around that, like even the, even that like 0 .01, 0 .03 uh, arena, there are projects right now that are, are, are really laying down the fiber in in games, in metaverse, in uh, IRL utility, in you know. I, I mean, I'm an advisor in a couple of projects that I will just tell you, like the the storytelling game mechanics have been in the works for 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 over a year. And that project is minting right now. And most people aren't going to care. Most people are, you know, it, it, and it's LGBTQ plus I. And it's a great project with great, you know, fibers. And I, the storytelling, every aspect of it, in my opinion, is top freaking notch. And I mean, they, they've literally checked all the boxes in, in my view. Yet the funny part about it is, like, that project's, like, long-term success will be one that will be like, wow, we needed them in our space. They're a pillar in what we all believe in, right? And like this idea of, of diversity and inclusion. And we believe in people being able to be seen and heard. And we believe that this stupid ass world of web two that that filtered too many people and and, and took away the opportunity for too many amazing we're, voices. We're talking on a web two platform though, don't forget. So we are correct. Oh, without yeah. hey, and, and let's also remember there's a lot of great things in web two and there's a lot of things in web two that we will continue <laughs> to need. But I do think like we we probably could take a step back as like a a cultural group as a whole and say, what if all of us bought into some of these projects that actually are the fiber and the exact example of what we all believe in? We could probably make more of an impact than kind of trying to wait on the next checks or you know the, the next piece that was you know I mean and I I mean I I faded checks like a boss. I I minted two other projects that day of checks came out and I was like, well, why would I jump into that? And <laughs> I mean like you know and now I'm like, what the hell was I thinking? Everybody's I mean, regretting that one though. So <laughs> with that with that said, True. I want to I wanted to say that you know back to your point of like you know buying into a project and it, there being like some really great access to people. I also think like. If you don't feel the access, if you don't feel like you want to be in that project, sell it. That's your way of getting out of the project. It's simple as that. You don't want to be a part of the community. 
You have a lot of complaints, sell it and move on to the next one. Like you don't need to write a thread. You don't need to write a tweet. You don't need to harass people in the discord. If you're not getting the answers you want, get rid of the asset, like, and move on. Like, yes, you're right. It's such an easy, it's such an easy decision to make. And yet I think people hold them because it's their ticket to complain. They have this ability to just be like, Hey, I've got this complain, complain, complain. It's like, okay, how about we buy it from you and you don't complain anymore (laughs) or how about you sell it on the secondary? Even (laughs) if you're selling it, you know, you're selling it at a loss, right? And and like quote unquote, a loss from the buy, right? Like, yeah, but there's also the ability to take that liquidity to try to get in something that, that might be good. Like, yeah. I think we, you're missing like, opportunity about, to like, complain. Yeah, exactly. Like that, that point too, that is in your wallet that is for this project that you can't stand and you're pissed off as all hell. Like if you're able to get out with that point too, and then putting that point two into a project that might actually be the one that like, it's going to be better for your mental health. It's going to be better for you. It's also going to give someone else the opportunity to jump into that project. And I will tell you one of the other lessons that I, I had to learn was I can also jump back in a project if they change. Like we have to, we have to give like, because there's a couple projects that I mean I was as bullish all in as you could get, and I was packing my bags and going deep into them, and then I saw like narrative change, and I, I didn't understand where the founder was going, and there were some things that just like started to, to like red flag me, and I and I sold out right, and I and and most people don't that that follow me and know me very well. Like you would have to listen to my podcast on a regular basis just to know that I don't talk about that project very much anymore. But I never fudded, never threaded, never like came out. But I what I realized was like, oh shit, now they're executing. They brought on a new advisor. Now they're you know, and I I looked at I'm like, I think I might I might be willing to jump back into that project now. And I think that's the other thing that people forget when you're like writing these exit fuds and you're you're complaining and bitching and moaning and making like there is the opportunity to jump back in. And either realize your mistake for leaving, or to recognize, hey, they've learned and and the and you moved on and become better, and now I can jump back in on the secondary market and still be a part of it and still kind of you know because you're it's not a end all be all loss you know if you left a project and I think that's a really hard mindset for for a lot of us to get over. Yeah, no, I agree. Let's uh, let's jump to the hands real quick. Facero, what's going on, my man? Um, how you doing? What's your uh, you got a question? I I don't, but. Uh, okay. <laughs> which is which is a strange one. I basically just wanted to get in and talk about the three six five because I have been there and Wait, I shilling, honestly three six five shilling your project or three six five you you did you're on the grind. No, well, no three six five the, the project. I, I'm not I'm not shilling it, but I'm literally saying I know how hard it was. So when you were talking oh, about gotcha. yeah that whole period of time, I I I've been there. I started two 365 projects and one of them was running every day and one of them was taking a portrait every day. And I got a month and a half in and my knees started aching and I was finding it really difficult. I was running at least 5K every day. So I quit that thinking that I need to look after my body, which made me persist with the taking the portrait every day. And I tell you, there were so many times I woke up and was like, I don't want to do this anymore. I absolutely hated it. But I got to the end, and I, it was one of the proudest moments of my life, actually feeling a sense of achievement that came out from that. So when you were saying, when you were explaining about doing sort of the, the NFTs every day, oh, yeah. going through the whole process, I was feeling your pain because I've been there. I know what it's like. So big respect for you to do that. Yeah, I appreciate that. It's not it's easy pretty, to do it, something every single day. So it's definitely and, hard. And I think we also have to just recognize too, like, 
We have the, 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 like, I'm doing, so I, on 12-12, because I didn't learn a freaking lesson, apparently, um, I decided to do an AI art NFT every day because i am been diving on AI art. So today's day 88 in a row where I've created an AI art piece, I've minted them onto foundation into a collection. And, and I will tell you, like, that was like, this was, and part of it was like my next step in curiosity where I was like, I, I would have sold, I would have bet my entire bag a year ago that you would never call me an artist ever. I would never consider myself an artist. That is not in my fiber. I am like literally in like, it can't draw, can't, it's just not my thing. But I've been in AI from data for a long while and I discovered AI art through a, one, actually through an NFT project, the AI apes. Um, and then I started leaning on mid journey. I started creating my own kind of vibe. And, and, and so then I, you know, now I'm leaning in, right? 88 days in a row, you know, creating one. But just like anything, right, like this also forces my creativity. It forces me to learn, you know, testing out new tools, forcing me to figure out, like, am I, do I like the artist side of this world, right? And, and also I get to learn new pain points. So I, I'm learning a lot about, like, I, had, I minted all those NFTs, right, like on, you know, all these different blockchains, all these different marketplaces. When I went to sell my own AI art NFTs, holy shit, is this marketplace world confusing, because I was like, oh, well, I'll just do like foundation, super rare or known origin or, or nifty gateway. Like, you know, like I knew like the Ethereum, like, but then I didn't understand, like there's certain mechanics under them and some of them you have to apply and some of them, you know, they only select during certain times. And then some of them you can only sell, use the auction feature at a certain price point. And then other ones allow you to buy with, with credit card, but only for people that are KYC. Like, I mean, it, it taught me <laughs> like whole, I mean, and right now I have a collection I have my first collection ever was on Nifty Gateway. Those, you know, 11 collections sold out. So, and I have now, I have a project called Shades of ADHD, which is my version of helping remove the bias and stigma around ADHD. So I, I create AI art that represents how I feel as someone with ADHD to help others kind of see that in themselves. And that's on known origin. And I have the daily collection on foundation. And, and I will say like, these are all things like, you know, like we don't, we learn and we figure it out as we kind of go, but I, I appreciate the, the kind words. And I think anyone, like, I will also just say this, like consistency doesn't have to be daily. Like I always want people to know, like, like whatever consistency means for you and you're able to manage the expectations and communicate with your audience. You're going to do this every Monday for the rest of the year. That is just as hard and just as beautiful of a consistency as ever. like, this isn't, there should be no consistency shaming or, or one exactly. version of consistency is better because yep. like I, I salute anyone that is showing up because at the end of the day, and this is like, you know, what goes on my slides, you know, I'm, I'm flying to San Diego to speak at a giant, uh, you know, the biggest social media event in the world. Uh, this is my, my 10th year in a row speaking at Social Media Marketing World. And, uh, you know, I'm on main stage and I'm talking about, you know, how to prepare your business for NFTs. And, that, and that's my, my talk. And, and I will tell you, the, the opening slide is, is just says, if everyone in here believes that we are all in the business of trust, right? Building trust, maintaining trust, scaling trust, right? Because that's how this game works. If we all believe in that, then I believe NFTs are something we should be preparing for. And that's kind of the, the talk I'm going to give. And, and so I think that trust, delivering that trust, building that trust, maintaining that trust, it's freaking hard to find a vehicle. But I do believe consistency is the greatest vehicle for delivering that. But it is also freaking hard. And just to, like, I don't want to, I, I always just kind of try to caveat that because, um, you know, anyone that's shown up, if you've, done a, if you've done Twitter spaces six weeks in a row at the same time, like, I, I salute you, right? I, there's no, like, there, that, all of these things are, are things that we have to, like, you know, push ourselves to show up. And, and I think, you know, that's also a good lesson for us to look at the space. Like, who are the people, not just showing up in the bear market, but who are the people that are, are continuing to deliver and show up as themselves 
and haven't wavered or changed and are still holding true to the values that they, they preached about. Maybe it's not as successful. Maybe it hasn't done what they thought it was going to do, but they, have, they haven't wavered. Oh, sign me up. I'm ride or die on, on, on those people's teams. Yeah, I agree with that. There's no doubt about it. Consistency is king, and there are definitely different levels of consistency. But if you definitely put out quality or whatever you're doing is quality once a week is amazing. I'd rather have a one a week thing done that's quality than seven things that week that are just like, eh. But you know what I mean? At the same time, as you're building that consistency, I actually actually think doing the repetitions, you know what I mean? Like every single day really puts you in a different mindset. And then it, it basically helps you hone your craft and become excellent enough to put out that one piece of content or whatever you're doing, art, whatever the, whatever the case may be, you become great at that faster. So, um, Hey, Fiddy, go ahead, my man. Um, so I have a question from a few days ago, maybe an hour ago, maybe 30 minutes ago. I don't know. I can't keep up. Go ahead, dude. Um, but fans of, um, great information. I'm still kind of trying to take in your days with, uh, being in military building cool stuff. Um, I mean, I had a question an hour ago, but I, I do want to ask a question, which is really interesting. Have you thought of putting some of that technology that you're working with, with some PFP project and really collaborating something really incredible? Because I'll tell you what, what's missing in the space is great art and great technology. And I've been saying this for a few weeks and I, I think you've got the know-how to put it together. Have you thought about collabing with a, a project and really put, putting some of that security and the technology of what you do together? Well, I know I appreciate that, Fiddy. Um, yeah, and I know we we talked a lot and uh, all over the places <laughs> the DNA. Um, well, so you know, I will say you know, I've I've been advising uh, uh, some projects and some tools uh, in this space, like just being uh, you know transparent. Uh, also, kind of working with a couple of the the marketplaces to. Uh, I mean, actually, that that was a call I was on just before this one um, was with a a marketplace from a a, a technology strategy perspective. Um, you know, I I haven't really kind of you know, thought of it from like a, a teaming up with a, a PFP side, uh, definitely not, a, not opposed to that at, at all. And, uh, and I will say like one of the things that I look at from like a, uh, like an overall impacting thing is like, you know, I think collaboration is way harder than what we all kind of like, you know, kind of deem it is in this space, like just getting, you know, projects and people to work together. But I do believe if we find universal technology that we can implement across multiple projects that, that make a lot of these things, uh, you know, simpler or, or smoother. I think that's the kind of the answer that makes, uh, you know, a lot of sense. And I think, you know, one of, one of the projects that I, you know, I'm really excited about that has to do with, you know, the IRL side of the house, right. And how do we, how do we connect some, you know, physical, physical devices, you know, into not only, not only onto the blockchain, but in a real time way that allow, you know, um, you know, traditional brands or brick and mortar companies to um, activate on the data that's in real time. And like, I think that kind of technology will be stuff, multiple NFT projects will be wanting to embrace and kind of integrate. But um, yeah, definitely a good idea, Fiddy. I, I haven't kind of walked down that um, exact path, but I'm definitely open to it. Yeah, because, you know, the reason I bring that up, because, you know, I, I, I do come from Web2, and I believe we're still in Web2. Um, and I've seen some in, incredible companies come together and really do some stuff together. And I'm talking about technology, art, uh, business skills, things like that. And I just think that people who have so much expertise and so much knowledge that you do 
could really bring a project together because I think a lot of people are trying to collab artwork, mint more stuff. And I don't know if minting collections over and over and over is the answer, but putting it together with an incredible um, software or something like you've built, like, I mean, I can't even keep up with what you've built. I mean, you build some crazy stuff and cool stuff and it doesn't seem like you monetize too well with that from the beginning. Lost some Bitcoin, which sucks. I'm sorry about that. But um, I think that's, that's the answer. Really putting technology together with art and that will create great utility. I mean, I'm working on that right now, but I just think that, you know, I was in a space yesterday and people were talking about, you know, entrepreneurship and I don't even remember whose space is. I can't keep up anymore. Maybe it was yours. I don't know. No, it was uh, somebody else's. But uh, I just think that that would be pretty incredible. I mean, somebody like you who has so much knowledge and so much information and so much to offer, just imagine you don't need to collaborate communities. You need to collaborate technology, art, and maybe some, uh, some kind of a cool roadmap. It sounds like, like we, I, it sounds like yeah, 2021, <laughs> but he does have the experience to do it for sure. I agree with that. So there's definitely something to look at. You guys should definitely talk about that in the DMS. Maybe you guys can get something going and uh, work on something together. I think that's great face. I think I saw your hand back up. Did you, did you have a backup or were you, uh, was it just up just hanging out? Sorry, I walked away from the phone for a minute. Um, no, I was literally just going to follow on from what we were discussing before about uh, doing the, the repetition of doing something every day. So the kind of the conversation moved on, but I, I would just say that one of the best things that I got from doing the 365 is the learning. Like, like fans, I was saying, it's like doing something every day, and you did as well, Lucas, because uh, you, you've been there, you know what it's like. Doing something that regularly, that consistently, you really do improve it's like you know drinking rocket fuel because you improve so quickly so i just wanted to add that in from from what we were saying before yeah i couldn't agree more it definitely is you you do a, a consistent thing over and over again put in the reps and you just get better at it it's like going to the gym first you look like uh you know you feel like oh my god i don't know how to do this exercise and then eventually you know two three weeks in you're like i can't believe i didn't know how to do this it's so easy to do this exercise now it's muscle memory same thing. Just keep doing it and you get better at it and better at it. The more consistent, the faster. And the hack is do it every day. I mean, that's just the hack. That doesn't mean you have to do it. So the hack is do it yeah. every day. Uh, absolutely. And the other thing I was going to say as well, uh, my son, who's 22, was uh, diagnosed with ADHD a couple of years ago when he was at university. And uh, he's quite rightly pointed out the fact that I probably do have ADHD. So that's probably why I did the 365 and stuck to it. So <laughs> um, I, I'm probably on a similar wavelength. Yeah, ADHD is a, a very, very common undiagnosed and also a thing that nobody talks about because they don't take it seriously. Like it's almost like, oh, yeah, so I have ADHD too because I can't pay attention. Like maybe you do, but I can tell you if you really have it, that is a problem. And uh, I come from a long line of ADHD people. I am currently undiagnosed, but I'm positive I have it just because it's like you just have common sense of like seeing like how you uh, act and do things. So I can tell you yeah. it's a real it's a real problem. So, yeah. And, it, you know, it impacts every minute of every day. Right. And I Absolutely. think that's, um, you know, and I am medicated. I, you know, I was diagnosed, you know, 10 years ago. And, you know, I will say, like, you know, I think that's part of the the narrative of why, like, why I did the collection I did. And, you know, for me, part of it was just the idea of, like, you know, how do we remove some of the 
the bias and the stigma around it, right? Like, and or like, the no, or no one taking it seriously. Like, it's not a right. like people and are like, oh, ADHD, you just can't pay attention, no big deal. So you let it. No, it's kind of a big deal. Like, it means you can't well, focus and, and get something done. You know, like when someone says like, oh, it's or squirrel, you can you hyper focus, <laughs> right? And that's the thing, right? It's you know, like for me, I'm on that side, right? I hyper. I have no problem focusing. Yeah. I yeah. just have problem regulating my focus. Like, I will go down a rabbit hole, and I will be stuck there, and the house could be burning uh, down around me. Literally, me, me too, man. I, yeah, so, and like those are things that like. You know, if you don't recognize that and you don't own that, like that can be very, you know, limiting in, in your beliefs. And, you know, and I'm a big believer in kind of, you know, how do we turn these into superpowers, but also how do we realize that like we have to change our, our daily habits and how we measure success. Like, you know, like I used to just, I used to guilt myself so freaking hard on some of these things in my life that I'm like, why can't I do that better? And God, I'm, I'm so good at this, but why, why aren't I doing these one things? And then when I owned like, oh wait, my brain's differently and my brain doesn't prioritize that and doesn't even see that the same way someone else does. And the only reason I'm guilting myself is because I'm holding this up myself or measuring someone that doesn't have the same brain as me. Right. And doesn't, that doesn't think the same way we do. And so, yeah, I do, I do think it's important. It's, it's probably a great, just like, you know, FYI for everyone in here, right? Like let's not like, let's not allow ADHD or any, anything that kind of falls in that neurodiverse you know, spectrum to be kind of like thrown around because like one person that hears like, Oh, well, everyone must have, ADHD, right? When someone when someone hears that, they like all of a sudden feel like their version isn't validated and they're not worthy. And I think everyone has their own strengths, their own weaknesses, and I think we all just have to like tap into that. And we can do a little bit better job of not allowing it to be blanket or just kind of like assumed. And some people it's medication, right? Some people it's changing changing daily habits. Some people it's changing food routine. Other times it's just changing the way you talk about yourself or talk to yourself. And all of those things are just things you have to learn along the way. And you're like, I, I, I'm also one that normalizes the medication side, not because I believe medication is the answer for everybody, but I know a lot of people take medication that they don't want people to know about. And I think it's okay. And I think it's a beautiful thing in a world where we are able to figure out what works for us. This world is already freaking tough enough. Right. Like, let's like, let's like, let's like let people like own the fact like, Hey, if you're struggling with this and you found something that you worked with a, you know, a professional or, or you found that like smoking weed helps you get through certain things. Like, I don't think we should shame or guilt. Like there are plenty of other shit that, that goes on in this world that are, you know, out of our control. And, and that's where, I mean, I, the collection is over there um, on uh, known origin for anyone who wants to check it out. I, there's some low entry points pieces. Um, but if you look at it, the, in each of the descriptions, uh, I worked with, within chat GPT actually, um, to create really detailed descriptions on the different things that, that, that come up, right? Like masking or things like executive function, right? Like where I struggle with executive function. Um, and that's a big, big thing for me. Well, like realizing what that feels like is one thing, but understanding what the struggle of executive, how it, how it manifests in your life to me changed my life. Right. And crazy enough, it was, you know, a lot of it had to do with clubhouse and TikTok where all of a sudden more people were, were talking and identifying with certain habits that they had. And when you recognize them in yourself, then you can go back and say, okay, well, what, how does this show up? And what, what does this look like? And, and like th that to me is just like, it's a magical you know, aspect of self-awareness and, and hopefully, you know, this little art collection that I, you know, I'm adding to over time. And, uh, you know, I have some pieces add. and I got a really cool message from, uh, you know, a follower and a friend of mine, um, that her son is diagnosed and he's nine years old and she showed him my art collection, the, the NFTs that I have. And his answer, his look back to his mom was, that's how I feel, mom. And I will tell you, <laughs> it made all of the art and all the things that I was creating worthwhile because, you know, when I was nine years old, I just felt broken that I was like, I can't do what every other kid can do. 
and why can't I? Like when the teachers would say, Brian, just try harder. And I'd be like, screw you. I'm trying freaking hard. It's just like, I can't figure out your way. And if I would have been able to be seen when I was nine years old, oh, I can't even imagine what my life would have been. So yeah, that's a little weird, you know, a little side story. Hey, you know what? The good news is you are who you are now, man. So that's all that matters, right? Truth. You fought through the struggles. You made it right. So Sarah, what's up, my man? Well, I just wanted to say, um, you know, for Gabriel, he he went through that as as a child and teenager, not knowing, not being diagnosed, and really struggled with his education. He wasn't able, so he got distracted so easily because he just didn't want to do it. He couldn't get his mind around it. But it wasn't until he was halfway through university when he got diagnosed, and that really helped him. He had a group of friends around him. I think this is key as well. He had a group of friends around him that helped him understand that. And of course, once he was diagnosed and understand that, understood the issues and the problems that were caused by it, then he was able to address it. And he came out of university, somebody who really struggled academically. He came out of university with a degree in zoology and animal behavior. And I've just got so much respect for him because I've seen how he struggled. And he's come out of that and he understands where he is now and he understands how to be as a person with ADHD. So it is something that needs to be talked about because I think, you know, we we have these issues that we think we're just the odd ones out. You know, we can't concentrate on something or whatever it may be or hyperactivity. But, you know, it's it's discussing and talking about it for people to actually realize they're not the only ones in those situations. Yeah. So, I, four, I just, just so you know, four percent, about four point four percent of people actually uh, have ADHD, ADHD. So, just an FYI. But you know what? We can turn that into another space. I would love to have a space, you know, mental health space on like ADHD and other things. Like that sounds like an interesting thing. I used to do mental health Sundays every Sunday from uh, the first week of May all the way to the end of October. So that was a lot of. There's a lot of Sundays that lasted, you know, eighteen hour long mental health spaces. Um, it's really, really interesting stuff. And I can tell you right now, we could, we could literally talk for hours about mental health. It's like everybody has their own struggles and their own things. And man, ADHD is like definitely one that's under discussed for sure. So I definitely think we should, we should definitely table that for another time, but I think we, we should definitely have it as well because it's super, super important. Um, mental and health on that, you know, on the, on the note of, um, you know, I, I do have to I run in about you know three minutes. Yeah. Uh, I pick up my daughters, uh, my three daughters. Uh, I, I co-parent. Another thing that we probably need to have more discussions on is um, not only celebrating, you know, parents and, and those that are, you know, kind of, uh, you know, kind of living that part of the life, right? Not only is life hard, but, uh, you know, helping shepherd, you know, uh, humans. And, and, you know, congrats to your son, Gabriel. And, you know, I appreciate all the ADHD superpowered humans that are pushing through and, uh, you know, also just the co-parenting side of life, right? Like I, I'm, you know, very blessed that, you know, I, you know, have 50, 50 with my, you know, my, my daughters and my, they are my greatest job and my greatest thing that I get to do every, you know, every single day is, you know, have them in my world. But, um, you know, look, this has been, this is a hell of a lot of fun. And, you know, yeah, man, it's been absolutely, my yeah, it's been absolutely my pleasure. And I wanted to get to know you. Like I said, I saw you at NFT NYC in June, like still just recording, like on the street, waiting in line, like recording. And I was just like, this guy's a beast. So I'm really glad you came on. Um, I'm really glad to get to know you too, man. Like hopefully uh, we stay in contact here and, you know, we meet up. I don't know if you're coming to NFT LA or any of these, these events, but I would definitely love to like meet, meet up with you in person and like hang out for a while. So definitely no question about it. Yeah. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, NFT LA, it doesn't look like it's going to happen, but I will be 
uh, I was speaking at, NFT, uh, at Miami NFT Week. I'll be uh, at CEX. I'll be at, of course, NFT NYC. Uh, I'll be at VCon. Uh, so yeah, if we can, yeah, definitely cross paths on that. And I, you know, and I would love to. Uh, we kind of, I'll flip that return the favor. I'd love to have you come on the on the pod uh, as well. So we'll get you locked 100%. in, and uh, you know, yep. I can share your story uh, uh, on the podcast as well. But yeah, I mean, I th this was a lot of fun, and uh, you know, I, I like I said, I've been following you for uh, a good while, and you know, love. You know, for me, I, you know, the other part of this is like. You know, content creators, Twitter space hosts are undervalued in this space. They are, to me, you know, the it's the the thread and the through line for so many people to continue, you know, uh, you know, not only discovering new projects but finding great people. And and a lot of the reason that people are still here is because of a lot of the people that are showing up on a regular basis in here and facilitating these conversations. And and sadly, we don't really monetize them very well, right? How many people have tipped? people that have helped them, you know, find a, a project or discover something or, you know, be a part of it. And so I, I, for one, like for me, just being able to support and celebrate and, and you know, share the stage and I, you know, be appreciate being able to share my story. And, you know, I challenge everybody, right? Like, you know, if, we, if we're not monetizing or, or being able to reward them financially, uh, you know, being able to let, let these people know that are, you know, that are showing up as creators, um, you know, across the board, whatever way they're creating, just let them know that we care about them, you know, that you appreciate them. Send them a, a DM. Like, if you enjoyed this space, you know, you know, slide in Lucas's DMs and let him know you appreciate it. Because I can tell you, those little messages are, they go freaking long way. And all the people that did that on my podcast every single time, like, I mean, those messages, the days I was willing, I wanted to give up that I no longer wanted to create the, the episode, I would just read those messages. And I was like, fuck, it's not about me. It's like, I'm showing up for everybody else. And like, if this is the day that one person is expecting to listen to this, and this is the day that they could, you know, kind of find their own aha moment of NFTs. Like, how am I gonna not show up? And I, I just, you know, Lucas said, I, I, I tip my hat to you on, on, you know, as a creator and as a, as a leader in the space. And this was like a lot of fun, my friend. Yeah, thanks again, man. And I, cause the funny thing is, just real quick, like I never even see myself as a creator. It's so weird to even hear that and my name attached to it. It doesn't matter how many spaces I've done, I never feel myself as a creator. So I guess I am though. Um, and by the Without way, a question, and I know where you, I know where you're at on that. <laughs> it's so weird. <laughs> I was the exact same one. And it wasn't until it wasn't actually until I had got hired by Adobe and, uh, and I was put up on this board at Adobe, uh, and Adobe had brought me on as an influencer. And the first year they, they brought, I was in the thought leader category, um, which, <laughs> awesome. I, I, which I was like, okay, that's fine. I, I could probably weirdly, I identified more in that than I did as a creator. And then the very next year they put me up on the wall as a creator and it said, creator of conversations and experiences. And I was like, oh shit. That's interesting. I guess that is, that that's, is what that's I That's a good I, way I of spinning it, right? I like that name. You are, right? So yeah. yes, I, I, think it's, I think it's great to embody that. Yeah, I agree. And uh, if you guys want to check out something also that I've been actually just starting to use that turns, like you just said, monetization, the Zealous app turns audio conversations into the ability to transfer them over onto YouTube, onto Instagram, onto LinkedIn, wherever you want to transfer them. I am a holder of Zealous, so I am a huge fan of their products. So transparency-wise, yeah, it's an amazing- love, love, that you're, love that you're in. I'm an advisor. Uh, Gregarious is a, is a super close friend of mine. I've been nice. involved since uh, day one of Zealous. I actually knew Gregarious from uh, Clout, uh, another measuring tool. I remember Clout, dude. I was on Clout. Yeah. I remember it. Trust me. Oh, yeah. So, so, so Greg, Greg was on that team that was measuring- that was helping measure our clout score and uh, and our you know our sphere of influence right from back in those days. But yeah, yeah. zealous, zealous, and I will tell you, he has been working and adapting, interviewing creators, working. I see Mary Beth up here as well. Like, I mean, there's some 
it, it's a school for creators by creators. Gregarious is literally one of the best humans in this entire space, and yeah, I love I that agree. you're you're in on that. It's just it's a great one that we anyone that's creating a space, anyone that's creating any type of content, um, I really check out Zealous. It as a, yeah, it's a must use. It's definitely a really amazing tool transcription everything you want from from a product so definitely check it out like i said transparency wise i am a holder and a user of the product so uh you know check it out if you can and again thanks again for being on the show um you fanzo you you were a great you're probably one of my favorite interviews of all time so thanks for coming on man you really you really you definitely rocked it today and um it's definitely been my pleasure and i will take you up on the offer to go on to your podcast for sure and with that said I'm going to have to close the show right now, guys. Thanks for coming out, everybody. Appreciate the audience. I appreciate everybody that came up to speak. You guys are awesome. See you guys on Monday. Bye.